Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Martial Arts Edition. I back. Trust me. I back. Thank you, Andy. We are back, folks, with a loaded episode this week. Looking back at Boston. Looking ahead to all things going on welterweight this weekend between the must-see Ben Askren to turn at UFC Singapore and this Bellator Wild Weekend, which is offering us plenty of fights, including the welterweight title rematch Grand Prix main event between Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima. You will also hear chats with both of those fighters on this show. So get yourselves fired up. Lots to talk about from John Jones to Greg Hardy to Conor McGregor, Macy Barber, on and on. And to do that, let me bring in my favorite men in the world of MMA to mix it up with, okay? Yeah, yeah, I said that. He's a Hall of Famer. You may be seeing him again. Inside of a cage one day. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. Rosef, how is it? What's going on, BC? I'm feeling good, man. Feeling really good. Looking great. Yeah, I know you're you're MMA royalty. People know that, but uh but but you look healthy. <laughs> There's no meat in your life. You know, it's, yeah. It's, what a I'm time feeling good. Like. I'm feeling good, man. My body's uh been feeling better and better every day, you know. Uh still going to the gym, training with those guys and just getting them ready, but Every day, climbing a step further, you know, into my own progression. And who knows, you know, like you said, it may lead me back into the cage one day. Wow. So I'm going to get Chris Weidman up in the bullpen. More on that to come. <laughs> Brandon Wise, CBS Sports writer, editor, one of my best friends in this entire world. What's up, jerk? <laughs> wow, you're so bitter today. I was going to be the one that had to be sad to to put the, the, the words on the gravestone of Chris Weidman's career today, but you came over the top with it. All right, all right. It was a wild weekend in the old MMA. We're going to get into all that ish. Uh, just a reminder, folks, you love me, B-dubs, Sugar Rashad Evans, head on over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you consume audio. Five-star review. Spread it forward. Spread it cleanly. Spread it evenly. Do your part in the great audio revolution so we can, can continue, by the way, to fill your ear hole with this performance-enhancing audio Gentlemen, uh, before we break down all these headlines, um, how are we feeling today? Be wise. You 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 on the road to uh, an eventual amateur fight? How are you doing in your training, bro? <laughs> no, I am out of training right now. Uh, I think we can talk about this now that it's close enough. I'm moving my life to Connecticut in the next month. Wow. Oh, wow. So I'm stressing out about that, trying to get all of those pieces in order. So I have not been to the gym in about three weeks, but yeah, man, it's it's an exciting time down here for us. I'm ready for the cold. I'm ready for a winter. Wow, 
wow, this guy taking wow, ready for after. cold and winter. Rashad Evans, a a uh, a veteran, an alumni of ESPN's MMA <laughs> Live, took many trips to Bristol, Connecticut, and the oh, greater yeah. woods up here. Uh, you you gonna you gonna support Brandon's move? Uh, yeah, I'll support it from here. You know, I'll, <laughs> I'll make sure that I'll send him nice uh, pictures from the beach so he stays. <laughs> he remembers where he's from, and, mm-hmm. and he send him some nice sunshine rays. That's that's about it. Ship me some sand. That's it. Rashad, <laughs> <laughs> you you're a a celebrity. You're a man of the world. You've been everywhere. You choose South Florida to be your home. Is uh, uh, what's the, where's the best place in the United States? Where? where oh man. I, for me, it was South Florida, just just because I, I'm I grew up up upstate New York, and uh, then to Michigan, and then to Chicago. So I've been up north, and I dealt with a lot of cold winters. So <laughs> I think I got enough of coldness to last me a lifetime. So I just wanted to wake up every day and and, and enjoy nice weather. So that's why I moved to Florida. All right, well, get ready to face the pain, Brandon. Moving just in time for your first Northeast winter. No turning back now. The leases have been signed. It's time. Let's do that. It's also time to get into some MMA analysis right after this. A word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, pick six has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. And we're back. BCB Dubs Rashad Evans coming at you. We're going to get into all that's to come next weekend. Big fights up in the way. Also got chats with Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima coming at you very shortly. But, guys, let's look back before we can look forward. A lot of headlines. Came out of this UFC Boston fight night card on Friday of last week that we're spinning forward, that we're processing. I mean, good God, Greg, Greg Hardy in the news in a, in a big way here, but it was that light heavyweight main event, Dom Reyes, first round KO of the aforementioned Chris Weidman. Rashad, we got a lot to talk about, unfortunately, about Chris Weidman falling to five defeats in six fights, but this was Dominic Reyes's close up. This was his chance to get on that microphone with a win and call out John Jones, which he has done in the subsequent days afterwards for the shortened period of of footage that this fight gave you. Is Dominic Reyes now a legitimate contender to John Jones's 205 crown in your eyes? Or does he Uh, just uh... become another Anthony Smith, another guy who may get next? Can he win this thing? Can he be the king at 205? I think he's a legitimate contender because of the fact that, you know, you're looking at a guy with him who has a size and, um, you know, he has the technique, but he also has power and he has an undefeated streak behind him, which gives him a lot of confidence, too. So so we're looking at a guy who's who's believing in himself and who has, uh, you know, has a flawless record, has amazing knockout and, and won over Chris Weidman, who just you know, when you knock out somebody who used to be a champion, it gives you the sense of you can beat anyone in the world. Then you start believing yourself on another level. So that's where that's where that's where Dominic Reyes is at. Uh, is he a contender to John Jones? I definitely think he's a contender to John Jones, especially, you know, I kind of feel as if like, um, you know, with with John Jones, 
you know, because the weight class has kind of been um, not not what it used to be. You know what I'm saying? He's not. It's, it's easy to overlook guys like this. And that's these are the guys that are hard when you start to overlook guys in your competition and, and start to be like, yeah, he's tough. But, he, you know, I, I beat I beat guys, bigger names, stuff like that. That's when all of that starts to creep in. It was an explosive knockout there for Dom Reyes. One quick takedown from Weidman. We didn't really learn a whole lot, unfortunately, about his developments. Brandon, I wanted to see where Dom Reyes is on that bounce back from that tough fight with Volkan Ozdemir, where he got that split decision that we talk about that I don't really think he deserved. And really the the giant sore thumb was how easy Vulcan took him down like he was a bar patron in Fort Lauderdale. Uh in theory, John Jones would do that at will. Was that fight an aberration, you think? Is this still the same prime Dom Reyes we saw leading up to that? I think it is the same prime Dom Reyes we saw leading up, but I'm also not like totally impressed by this win. Like We talked about it last week where Chris Weidman is an interesting move, but this is also feels like kind of desperation time for him where he felt like moving up another 20 pounds might give him some sort of advantage with his wrestling game. But it's just so clear that his chin is just gone. Like he, he has no defense for those, those heavy shots. And as soon as Reyes clipped him once, you just kind of knew it was over. And I, I mean, in our latest rankings update that we're doing for the site divisionally, I didn't even move Reyes up because to me, like this, like what kind of level of competition was this for him? When this is a guy entering the weight class who was not ranked, who had the championship belt before, but had lost four of his last five all by knockout. So this was a this is what you were supposed to do fight for Dom instead of a show me something fight. I mean, that's certainly fair. And he took care of the business. He was the A side of the of the show. He put himself fourth as a dominant potential title contending force. I love the call out of John Jones on the aerial show on Monday. I think he even referenced a little Bugar Shugar there, trying to talk about John's habits. So <laughs> that is what it is. But Rashad, for 35-year-old Chris Weidman, man, ah, five or six defeats. Yeah. All by KO. And he comes out, not just in the cage, to say, look, you know, God's got this sort of, that sort of thing, which you can certainly respect. But the long Instagram posts that followed Rashad. I'm not sure if you saw that. I didn't get a chance to read it. What, well, I'll it? read it to you right now. I just want to let everyone know I'm all good. Just obviously bummed with the result. I knew Dom was a tough fight, and he proved to be more than that with a beautiful timed left hand that put me down in the first. I jumped in with a right hand, and the range was off, and he capitalized. Sucks for me. As for what is next, I'm hearing a lot of you should retire comments, and I get where you're coming from based on the results of my recent fights. It's crazy because a win over Reyes the chances of me fighting for a world championship were very strong. Now to be getting hit with the retirement talk is really, sorry for my Wi-Fi there, is really a uh, a big swing for me to get used to hearing. I'll tell you that I'm definitely not ready to retire. I still love this and I'm very hungry to get back in there. I believe I have the abilities to be a world champion still. I know some of you are shaking your head and laughing at me. Well, screw you and thanks for the motivation. Rashadi went on to... Um, Further play up how he'll be back soon, and this is an extreme low, but not the end of his story. Um, you've been there, Rashad. Mm -hmm. I have. With some defeats together, and everyone's telling you you should go away, <laughs> yet you know what's inside of you. Sometimes 
that can be delusional for a fighter who needs the the unwilting confidence just to step in that cage. In Chris Weidman's case, yeah, is the chin uh, gone? Are we? Are, is he fighting too stiff a competition? How do you gauge all this? Well, here's the thing about it. I think that um, you know, he has taken a lot of shots, but I don't. I don't necessarily think that his chin is gone. I just think that you know. When, when we're looking at Chris Wyman, you know, we're 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 always comparing him to the Chris Wyman who knocked out Anderson Silva. And it seemed like ever since he knocked out Anderson Silva, he's been always trying to live up to that that performance. And I think because he's been always been trying to live up to that specific, particular performance, um he's allowed he's allowed himself to kind of uh like I, I guess, you know, Approach approach the fights mentally from from the same from the same uh, from the same position. You know, I think I think that what what he needs to do is he needs to just kind of deconstruct himself on a mental level and just kind of figure out, okay, uh, if I'm going to do this and I and I really want to do this, how how am I going to do this and what's really causing me to to not fight to my potential or to cause hesitation inside of that octagon because. That, that's what I see. I see there. There's a lot of hesitation with, with the guy with, with him, and and even when he was, um, you know, with the fight, he got knocked out fast. He got knocked out fast because he was rushing. You know, he was trying to push the action. He was really trying to 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 force the fight. And I think that's when you serve yourself up when you try to force things. So I think that what he needs more than anything is, is mental. More than anything, it's mental because I still do believe. That Chris Wyman can take out a lot of the contenders at light heavyweight, but what he may need to start is um, something mental and also some lighter competition to kind of build back that confidence. But um, it's uh, it's tough at 35, man. It's tough at 35 because there's so many things that you have to you have to be real with yourself about. You know, is you know physically speaking, you know, can he do it? I don't know. I, I'm not in. I'm not in Chris's, you know, I don't see him every day on a daily basis. I don't see how he's he's reacting to when he gets hit or how he's reacting to when he's moved or, you know, how his motor skills are or anything like that. So it's really hard for me to just watch a performance like that and say, oh, yeah, he got knocked out. He needs to retire. I'm sure you can connect, though, with the that feeling of I know I still got something left in the tank. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm dude, I, I I feel it. I feel it right now. I feel it right now, and I know exactly. I know exactly what he feels, and that's and that's the thing about it is because when you're at a certain level, you don't have a chance. You don't have the uh, the chance to lose fights. Like like if you look at my record, I started losing fights later on in my career. But if you look at people's records, you know a lot of people have more than you know you know ten losses, and they're still relevant in you know in competing. And you know I don't have that many losses, but when you start losing later on in your career, it makes it so that people are like, whoa, 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 mate, wait a minute, you're taking these losses now. You you might need to stop, you know. So it's it, it just it just sucks to be honest to be in that position. But more importantly, um, he has to be real. He has to be real with himself and be like, is this something that I truly, truly want to do? with everything inside me that's burning because these people that he's stepping into the octagon with, that's where they're coming from. And if you can't meet that same intensity, 
then you shouldn't be there at all. I know. What's really against his argument, in my belief, is is when you move up to a different weight class late in your career like this, is, and especially when you're coming off of so many losses, there's an air of desperation to that. And then to be essentially lifeless in the performance outside of that one quick takedown, you don't have much to stand on for arguing why you should still be in there. One shot, the fight was over. Even though you can construct, and I'll bring in superfan Brandon Wise for this, you can construct an argument that he was winning against Jacare before getting stopped. That he was, you know, mm-hmm. even going back to the title loss, he, he probably should have won that fight against Rockhold before making that one mistake late. He was in it against Romero before the, the destructive knockout. Problem is you can't take all those away. All those fights happen. He chose and signed on for these tough fights. And Brandon, even though he nailed it in that Instagram post, if he had won on Friday, yes, they would have given him the title shot because he's a celebrity name. It 100% would have happened. Yet at the same time, all that, all those calls to John Jones, man, it, yeah. maybe now in 2020 hindsight, they seem so delusional. Bro, put your guy in check, all right? Is, is yeah, Chris so- Weidman still your son? What do you got for me? Yeah, I mean, I think Rashad actually nailed it when he said that the level of competition might just be too much for him at this point. Like we had very high expectations for him after he won the belt against Anderson Silva and his resume to that point was just wild, right? Like he beat Damian Maya, Tom Lawler, Mark Munoz, Anderson Silva, Lyoto Machida, and then Vitor Belfort before Rockhold beats him. And once that knockout happens, it feels like something changed in 2015. Like something is not clicking for him. So it's tough to see this, but it's also when you think about it, like he's fought the top three dudes at welt at middleweight in the last four years. He fought Gegard, who then went on to win the belt in Bellator, and his win is over a top contender at middleweight. So it's tough to say like he can't do this anymore. He shouldn't do this anymore, which I kind of think he shouldn't do this anymore right now. He does need a break of some sort, even though he's had time off to recover from different injuries that he's had. I just, I don't know, man. I feel like if you gave him somebody right now and it's it, at like number 15 at light heavyweight, maybe it's a different story. But I also just don't think he's big enough for one for 205. Like he's a small. Well, dude. I mean, he looks small because Dominic Reyes is so big. But you look at the the upper echelon of competition, the the Johnny Walkers, the the Dominic Reyes. Those guys are specimens in the weight class, and and that's and these are the guys who are going to give John his biggest competition, even though John doesn't see it yet. But these guys are going to give him his biggest competition because of their size, because of their youth, because of their creativity, and because of all these intangibles that that they have not been. Uh, subjected to as far as, you know, not having these bad experiences in the cage. You know, Dominic Reyes is undefeated, so he has no red lights when it comes to performance. He's all green light. He's all go. Mm-hmm. So you have a bunch of these guys in there. And, and also, you know, Johnny Walker is the same way, throwing the same kind of crazy combinations that John Jones used to. So these guys are tough and 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 are big guys. But Chris Weidman, he's a, he's a nice-sized middleweight. I just think that when, when it comes to fighting at – you know, in the later half of your career, I think Chris Weidman would behoove if he himself if he started to look back at some of old Randy Couture fights. How did Randy Couture fight fight in the second half of his career when he went up to heavyweight and started wrestling, fighting those big guys? A lot of those wall and brawl cage fighting techniques. I think bucks, those yeah. things will work really, really well for Chris Weidman, who is 
you know, one of the best grinders in the game. He may not be able to stand out in exchange from that 50-50 point anymore, but that just means that he has to go and put the fight where he needs it. Randy Couture, he couldn't stand out in exchange with those 50-50 with those uh, heavyweight guys, but when you put him against the cage, he was a world champion. And that's what Chris Wyman has to do. Get the fight where he is good at. Yeah, because the simple explanation on what's going on is this. His chin is deteriorating. But the bigger, <laughs> deeper explanation may be a maybe a lack of evolution. Because even when Chris Webb was at his best, and here's the thing, what you mentioned, Brandon, his resume, you can't call him, some people on Twitter call him like like Buster Douglas. Like, it's like he took down Anderson Silva and never did anything again. Well, hold on. I mean, like, he walked through. He beat the, he beat the damn ish out of Vitor Belfort at a time yeah. when that still mattered. Oh, that was a tough-ass fight with, with the still-prime Machida. I mean, he just kicked the shit out of Mark Munoz. I mean, he had some wins there in that stretch, but maybe it was a lack of evolution because even at his absolute peak, it was easy to kind of concoct the kind of arguments I used to make of, oh, he never beat Anderson Silva. Anderson lost those fights. And some of that, I think, screams that his style was like a little vanilla, but it was it worked. He was like, uh, it seemed like he was warning track power across the board in every category, but he was aggressive and he went after it and he was tough as balls and he could outgrind you, which is what you just yeah. said, Rashad. I think the best Chris Weidman that, that I've seen um, after the knockout was the one where he fought Yoel Romero. I thought that was the best Weidman I've seen in a long time just because of the fact that you know, you could see the work that he's has has done with Wonder Boy pl- played off, but then you also seen the fact that he just, you know, he, he didn't um, solely just rely on that. He kind of mixed in, you know, some some uh, clinch positions and positions that really helped him control the fight as well as the strike. And that whole fight, if you remember, like in in the first half of the fight, he had Yoel Romero completely confused and looking out of sorts, and that's really hard to do with a Romero. But Romero, Romero was able to catch him with that that knee, that well timed knee. But before that, it was looking like Chris Chris Wyman was was putting on the clinic, you know. And I think that is what Chris Wyman, you know, it looked like after that whole thing happened, after he got knocked out with um with with the OL Romero, he's like, you know what? Forget that style. That style got me knocked out. Let me go back to my old wrestling and grinding and, and doing that style. And I think. I think it's a happy medium. I think it's a happy medium. I think he needs to use some of the attributes he learned from, you know, the deceptiveness he learned, the, the footwork from uh, from Wonder Boy, but also use that grinding. I think that's where his game is at. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's tough to see. It's tough to see for a guy who has, uh, you know, enjoyed and deserved the respect uh, up to this point, and, and then you're seeing it fall apart. Uh, let's wrap up this the Dom Reyes, John Jones situation. Uh, I, I, like I said, I like the aggressiveness of Reyes in the call out. What do you guys think of John Jones's reaction now on social media in which he's basically saying, like, look, this guy's another Anthony Smith. I can't get up for him. And then responded to a fan who said, how about Francis Ngannou? And Brandon, what did he say? That fight's inevitable? Yep. He's, uh, he's basically saying that. At some point, he's going to see himself fighting against Francis. Okay, and well, that's what we just wanted. to go off of what Rashad was saying, these guys that are coming up now are not the same as Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith. Like these are the younger evolutions of the new of the sport. Where Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith are actually like thirty four and thirty five. Right. You know. So I think that those guys coming up now, like Dom and and Johnny, are actually going to give Bones a run for their money if he stays around. 
Now it sounds like he's ready to move to heavyweight, which he just keeps teasing every other week. But I, I, I just don't know what's going to happen here. Well, you're well, seeing see John Jones reach down and like call out Israel Adesanya and get into a war there. You see Tony Ferguson in the last two days come at John Jones, and John's like, let's do this. Um, I, it's, it's, it's pisser get off the pot in a lot of ways for me, Rashad. It's like, John, go up and fulfill your legacy at heavyweight. But if you don't want to, and that is your choice, then, dude, you got to fight the Reyes's and the Johnny Walkers, and you got to get yourself up for it. I think this is a, it's a dangerous mindset to find for John to find himself in because of the fact that when you start to not um, not see your competition, and, and, and by not seeing, I mean by not respecting them and, and not thinking that they're challenged to your crown, then then that's when you've already taken a step down from your crown. That's when you've already you know you've already, I guess, made it a window for for you to lose your your fight just because of the fact that when you're not um, focusing on the task at hand, these guys like Dominic Reyes, he's waking up every day thinking about how he can beat John Jones, Johnny Walker, the same thing, and everyone else in that competition uh, in that weight class thinking how they can beat that man. If he's thinking, man, I'm not really motivated behind these guys, when he steps into a cage who's with one of these guys who's been thinking about nothing but beating them, they're going to find whatever strength that they didn't have in that fight just because they've been visualized beating him for so long. So they're going to become a tougher fight for him. Um, I, th- I think in, in John's defense, I think that I do understand it. I do know what it's like. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you're just not motivated by somebody you fight because of the fact that you fought the best of the best. You fought those big name big name fighters. And and when you fight big name fighters, it does get hard to fight someone who doesn't have that big name because at the end of the day, you need something to motivate yourself. You know, and, and for John, if he's feeling like he's not getting the motivation from these guys, then he needs to do something that gives him motivation. He needs to fight in a weight class that gives him motivation just for the time being. So say for instance he jumped up the heavyweight and challenged with one of these super fights. Then he can come back down and be like, okay, well, the, the, the light headweight game has matured a bit. Let me see what competition's down here. Yeah. I think that'll work perfect. I think you nailed it right there. And, and, and if that is the case and you're not getting up for it, then move up. Because I think we saw in that Maheta, Maheta fight that you had a guy in Tiago Silva who wasn't, who was going <laughs> to, even with two, two dead legs, was going to, that was his Super Bowl. That was his whole career in one night and he went for it. And, you know, John effed around and played it somewhat safe and almost lost that fight. So that's what's going to happen against these guys if you don't. But I saw in connecting with you on Slack this morning, Brandon, that you didn't really like John Jones's comment about the idea that he has nothing to gain for his brand by fighting these guys at 205. I can counter that and say, hey, John, we just had to sit through you fighting these guys for your brand the Anthony Smiths and the Tiago Santos. So this is where you draw the line now? No, I'm drawing the line at him playing the game with everybody because it's clearly he's just trolling now. Like he did all he fought Anthony Smith and he fought Tiago Santos and and um uh, Alexander Gustafson and thought that those, that was going to draw people and get people excited just because of his brand and his name. And now he's saying that he's uninterested in in fighting people that nobody has any idea of before they fight him. I I just I'm not in on that, man. Like, decide what you want to do and go do it. If you want to be like Anderson Silva and move up and wait and take on a big challenge, do it. But stop just tweet tweeting out at people and making people think that you're going to do something and then, nope, not going to happen. 
Because remember, like three months ago, he was like, "You guys really are you guys really ready for me to fight Stipe?" And then the next like hour later, it was announced that he was fighting Santos. Yeah, it's yeah. just like he's playing a game with everybody. Yeah. John Jones, get your together! I'm waiting for you. Indeed, DC. Indeed. Uh you you would you guys be willing to give Dom Reyes with that size, with that volume style, a legitimate shot here? I, I would, and I and I would say this. You know, we have, we know that John Jones is, is absolutely amazing. And we know that when you put the X's and O's next to each other, we know that John Jones has a few more on his side. But when you take into account the fact that John Jones is speaking like this and he's thinking like this, then you have to add in a big, uh, a big swing in Dominic Reyes' favor just because of some of the fact that mentally it's all, it's a mental game. And mentally, when you're not stepping up to the plate, and you're not ready to bat and, and go against whoever's whoever's there, then you're gonna get caught by somebody, and that's just how the game goes. The game is unapologetic, and it doesn't care. It doesn't care who you are. It doesn't care who, what you accomplish. If you step in there not correct, you will get sorted out quick. I like that. That was very Omar Little of the Wire. The game is the game, and I, I mean that's the bottom line. That is it right there. Uh, we saw, good. yeah, we saw a lot more come out of this UFC. Boston card guys we get finally which turned out to be the co-main event on this card that featherweight duel that promised violence action and then promised a little bit of hatred between them when Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens 27 days after the infamous eye poke in the 15 second clash in Mexico City uh, guys they, they delivered on what they promised and you added in those extra sprinkles of the dislike between them from that hotel lobby clash and Yair saying that Jeremy Stevens wanted and was looking for a way out. Well, in that rematch, neither were. They brought the heat. Rodriguez gets the three-round decision win. But it was Jeremy Stevens once again showing him, us all how tough he was. Round two, that might be your round of the year in MMA. You're waiting for, for, the, for the ref to jump in as Jeremy Stevens is getting pummeled from one of those kicks to the body that shuts everything down. And he rallies back to take control at the end of that round and has a very good third round to get back into the fight. Guys, it was worth the wait. It really was. This fight delivered on so many levels, you know, with this fight. And here's the thing about it. It gets so hard to have a beef that that carries its weight inside the octagon and doesn't, you know, doesn't turn into something nasty or just it, it was really just a nice display of two guys who had a disagreement with each other and they sorted it out in the fight. And at the end of the fight, they shook hands and it was over and you got to be like, okay, that's, that's how it should be. You know what I'm saying? I got a problem with this guy. We sort it out and then we shake hands and we cool. But this fight was, was an amazing fight because it had all the ebbs and flows of, of their, their distaste for each other, you know? And when, you know, when, when, uh, when he got hit in the stomach, when Stevens got hit in the stomach, you know, you seen him dig deep and he could have quit. He could have stopped, but he just kept going. He kept fighting, but it wasn't until the third round. When his corner was like, hey, stop taking this so personal. Let's let's just get after it. Then you just see Jeremy just open up and just become a different guy. You've you seen him, you know, just relax a little bit and just start fighting like the Jeremy Stevens that we thought was going to get in the first round. I mean, not saying that he didn't come and bring it the first round, but that third round Jeremy Stevens in that first round and second round Jeremy Stevens was a different guy. And it, and it, but it was it was an amazing fight. Brandon, this 
pretty much uh, we didn't learn anything new about Jeremy Stevens. He is who he is. He is a guy who's a tough out for everyone, elite or not. Even though he's got more losses than you realize, not just what seventeen career, but in recent fights too, because he's matched himself so tough. But did this give you those feels for Yair Rodriguez at twenty seven? That finally he seems ready to, despite just one loss on the UFC up to this point. Finally, he seems ready to cash in on his ultimate potential. Yeah, I mean, this is the Yair Rodriguez I have been waiting for because when he was on the rise before that Frankie Edgar fight, I was like, guys, you, you really need to stop paying attention to him because he's got that crazy kickboxing background that makes it so hard for anybody to figure out because his style is just so unique with the different ways he can attack. Like he had a, a, a sequence there in this fight where he goes – kick with the left steps and plants with it and then kicks with the right. Like it's just crazy to see the different variations that he's able to bring. And then when he gets beat by, by Frankie Edgar at two eleven in 2017, it was just kind of like falling all the way back. It felt like, and then he has the whole fallout with the UFC where he's asking for his release and the whole situation with him trying to fight Zabit. I don't know what happened with that, but where he is now, with his win over Korean Zombie last year with the crazy elbow, getting this win over Jeremy, this is to me, this is the rise of somebody who is going to get a title fight soon. I just don't know when, just because the division is so loaded. Yeah, I, I like this Yair Rodriguez. Um because this year yes, Yair Rodriguez, he's 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 believing in himself more than, than he ever has before. But I also believe that, you know, he's he's uh, maturing in a way, and we're seeing that he's he's ready to compete for a title. But I think that I think I will give him two more fights just because of the way he ended that third round. You know, I don't I don't think a, a title contender uh, ends a third round like that. You know, I mean, listen, Jeremy Stevens is tough as they come, but I just kind of seen like um, Yair kind of relented a little bit too much and kind of let you know kind of caught his breath a little bit and. With the guy who, who's a tough finisher on top, you might not have a chance like that. It could have been a very dangerous situation. So I would like to see him in two two fights maybe, you know, with improvements like he's been showing to get a title shot. It's a fun division. I, I, I can't – I you know, <clears throat> when I look to the future, and you know, Volkanovski could end up being the king of this division. Ortega could come back and uh, maximize – things in his personal life training with Halle Berry and then maybe maximize it in the cage <laughs> as well. Uh, but when I look at this division, man, the idea down the road of a Yair Rodriguez, Max Holloway title bout, if that plays out is, is sexy. Ooh. That's fun. That's everything I want in this life. Um, shout out to Jeremy Stevens toughness. We got, we got the fun fight. Like we mentioned also on this card this past Friday and Bob Mashin went to this card living just two hours away. Uh, Greg Hardy was a big part of this story because he went in there against the combat wombat Ben Sassoli, who brought with him uh, just a hellacious 2019 uh, mullet that really I, I got to <laughs> applaud him for. Uh, Greg Hardy gets a decision because Ben Sassoli was tougher than the typical fare that the much maligned former NFL All-Pro faced. But then you had Greg Hardy being Greg Hardy. By throwing Sassoli on top of a bed full with firearms. No, sorry. I confused the headlines there. By, by, by kneeing a woman while she was. No, sorry. By 
taking an inhaler that was not cleared between rounds by the Massachusetts Athletic Commission and then having the fight changed to a no contest. We're going to have a lot to talk about spinning off because Hardy's going to be back in a big fight very shortly. But Rashad, from the idea of this guy can't seem to get some of these basic things together, is this lets everybody pile on Greg Hardy and make off jokes like I just did? Or, 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 or was the fighter not to blame in this spot? How did you read this whole thing? I'm seeing conflicting takes from yeah. from Big John to, to anybody. This this was not his fault. This is not his fault. Uh, I, I think that, you know, listen, he, he's he's novice and he doesn't really know what is what yet. You know what I'm saying? That's that's his truth. You know what I'm saying? He's still he's still learning. So at the end of the day, his corner has to be able to say, no, you can't use an inhaler. It's a steroid. You know, it's a steroid for your lungs. And that's that's what his corner should have done. Uh, even, and if he did get permission for the athletic commission, which I don't I don't even see how that would have been, uh, then he should have had something signed or, you know, something documented in any kind of ways to back that up. But at the end of the day, it is his corner's responsibility to make sure that their fighter is not violating any of the rules because they're the ones who pack the bucket. They're the ones who pack the bucket. They're holding all his things. He's not carrying anything in his in, in his uh, shorts when he's fighting. You know, he didn't have, carry that inhaler. They carried it for him. So it's their fault, not his. That's fair. That's a fair way to look at it. Uh, it, it. It plays into that string, though, and some of the the sort of takes we've had about Greg Hardy up to this that I've had is like, look, hey, Greg Hardy and UFC, like. From a marketing sense, we get why he's pushed into these co-main events. People are going to want to see him turn his life around or people are want to see him get knocked the hell out. But I haven't felt like they've committed to what he is, heel or villain from the idea of, uh, you know, heel or face from the idea of marketing. But he can't seem to stop getting into these things that make him see, seem like more of a villain, his fault or not. I was probably going to come on this show this week and be like, okay. I mean, he looked okay. He, he, he won this fight. He... I'm not sure if he would have hung on and won it if the fight went on another 30 seconds because the damn Wombat was finding his chin by the end of that third round. But I would probably have said, hey, Rashad, we got to get this guy in a real fight or I'm just not really interested anymore. Wow, he's in a real fight. Wake <laughs> up. Breaking news into the State of Combat podcast. JDS out of the Moscow main event against Alexander Volkov because Dos Santos is, what is he hospitalized for, Brandon? Dude, he got a staph infection in his leg. Yikes. Do not look at the picture of that. No. Prayers up to uh, to Junior Dos Santos, a favorite on this show. He is truth, by the way. But Rashad Evans, Greg Hardy has gone all in on short notice. He's going to fill this Moscow main event against Alexander Volkov, who ain't no joke. Is he ready for this ish? Listen, I... This is what he needs, though. Remember when I was talking last week about what this guy needs? This is exactly what he needs. He needs to step up in a situation like this and knock out a home run. Can he beat him? Yeah, he can beat him. Is it going to be a tall order? Yes, it's going to be a tall order. But in order to make a splash in the UFC, in order to be that guy who gets the main events, who gets to be you know, pumped up in the headlines, you have to go out there and perform on a night. You have to go out there and beat, beat this guy. This, this is what Greg Hardy needs in order to be the star that he wants to be. You know, I, I feel like I, I like Greg Hardy, but I feel like what, what happened to Greg is is that he's been so apologetic and just so sorry for what has happened and the way people see him. 
is that he's been trying so hard. He just, it just like, you know, like you try hard and the harder you try, it just, it goes even worse. I think if he just kind of just stops trying so hard and just be, then I think things will go a lot smoother for himself, for him. You know, I think that's, that's the problem that he's having. He's just trying a little too hard with, with everything. All right. Well, Hardy got praised on that broadcast from the Sosoli fight for, you know, his ability to slow down, use the jab. He does land powerful shots. Never really got into too much trouble, like I mentioned, except for the, the end of that fight when it, when Sosoli was just swinging for the fences and started connect a few times. But I mean, Brandon, when you look at this, this is going to be a fight we got to see. We got to see what happens. Volkov's a, a kickboxer. He's tall. He's seasoned. He's legit. Are we, I mean, if you're in Hardy's corner, do you just go, hey, let's make it a brawl and see who's got the bigger weapon in this? This is this could be a a really long night for him, or this could be like Rashad mentioned that that night that proves everything. Yeah, I would say I'm already leaning towards Hardy in this fight, even Whoa. though he's coming off of a, a camp already, and he, this is only on what like two or three weeks' notice. I just think like this is a fight where you might see the athleticism that he's had in his NFL career show itself more because he'll be able to avoid those big shots. I feel like from Volkanovsky, uh, Volkanovsky from Volkov, because he's just going to be able to duck it out of the way a lot faster. He, his fast twitch mu- muscle fibers are just going to be in place so much more that I don't know if Volkov is even going to be able to touch him with that kind of power. Here's my thing with Hardy though. I think this next two weeks or however long he has a train should be spent on an aerodyne bike and just pushing him to the limits where he's doing rounds and series one minute goes, 30 second, just just where he's 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 doing an aerodyne at the pace of a fight. You know, have a coach, you know, okay, 10 second sprint, 10 seconds off, 30 second sprint, 10 seconds off, and do that for five minutes and do five five of those. You know what I'm saying? So because I say that because when I look at Hardy, I think his his cardio is the biggest thing that has caused him to not be what he truly can be. I think he's so afraid of getting tired because he felt a piece of that tired. Once you feel that tiredness in a cage, it's something that sticks with you that that you just can't shake sometimes. You know, Tyron Willie had it for a while. When you gas out there in a while, it when you gas out there when you're fighting, it, it brings a fear in you that makes you fight a certain kind of way. But the only way to break out of that is to just kill yourself in training. So then that way you break out of that fear of gassing out. I thought you were going to say he should go train in Siberia like uh, Rocky did. <laughs> Rocky Ford. This is going to be fun theater. It's November 9th. It's the same card as of uh, the Zabit Magomed Sharapov fight against Calvin Cater that was uh, rescheduled from Boston. This should be fun. This should be a good-ass piece of business. We're going to find out. This is what we wanted. We want to find out how good Greg Hardy is. We're going to find that out here. And by the way, I mean, look, this is mixed martial arts. You can take an L. Many great fighters have taken an L on that rise to find out who they are. It would not be the end of the world if Greg Hardy got stopped there, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah, it wouldn't be, you know, and it'd be a great learning experience for him because at the end of the day, you know, it's a step up in competition for him. And Greg, Greg is, is going to be that guy. But right now he has to, he has to learn, and, th- and this right now is his his time to to learn the sport. You know, when you say think, Greg is going to be that guy, do you, do you mean you see him ending up as a legitimate top ten heavyweight contender? 
I think I think so. I, I really think so. I think that with his size, uh, being an American top team, American top team is a very good team, and they're very good team for big guys too. So that that that's one thing that I, I look at when I see his development. You know, he he's got a good team behind him. Uh, he wants to learn. He's eager to learn, and all those things make it a combination for somebody to be to be pretty good. You know, he's very he's very hard on himself, and that hardness on yourself. That 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 brings greatness because you're not going to stop until you perfect it in your mind. Indeed, very very interesting stuff. To close on our UFC Boston talk, it was a big win for women's flyweight Macy Barber, who came out there and did Macy Barber's things by pounding Jillian Robertson over the three minutes of that first round to finish her by TKO. It was just a, it was a, kind of an intense sequence to end it with just power shot after power shot on the feet. Afterwards, Barbara, who's really trying to make an impact and an imprint and become a future star in the sport at what? Just, uh, what is she, uh, 21, 21 years old, calls out the right person, Paige Van Zant, PVZ. You want to talk about the right person who you'd favor to be in a fight against PVC? It'd be Macy Barber, but the idea of taking her fans, of using that, uh, do you think she should get this fight? Yeah, I mean, I think she should, but I don't. I don't think she will get the fight. I don't think that Paige is gonna fight this girl. I mean, listen, Macy Barber, man, that girl is tough, man. She she's she she's tough and she fights violent. You know, uh, I I don't I don't <laughs> I don't know I don't, I don't see why Paige I don't I don't see Paige taking a fight with somebody like this. You know, this this girl is a is a fighter fighter. She fights, so I think that. If she got her hands on on little on Paige, and I think Paige would be in some trouble straight up. I, I was interested as to why that's her call out. Why not go towards like the champion if you're gonna make a call out well, like that? You know? I mean, well, because here's the thing about it: like she's smart. She knows the fact that in order for her to to get the recognition, mm-hmm. to get the title shot, she has to kind of you know beat someone that's popular and beat someone who has a name and be, you know what I'm saying. So she's trying to you know ride off the the, the name that Paige has built in, in the game, you know, and that's what I, I don't blame that. She'll, she'll, she'll have a lot of people, a lot of eyes watching. She fights my Paige in event. And she's also in a division in which the champion is potentially an all-time great in Valentina Shevchenko. So I want to get your guys' take on where you think Macy is in this evolution. The problem for Macy is this is a shallow, empty division that the more she builds her name, the quicker they're going to push her in there against a Valentina Shevchenko what more do you guys need to see? Because I love the violence of Macy Barber. I love the aggression. But I'm not sure she's really shown us all the wrinkles. And granted, look, she's only 21. She's only had a handful of UFC fights. But I, I it's going to be some time where I could see her uh, being able to even go the distance against a Shevchenko. Uh, I mean, that's just such a tough call because you don't. she's so young. Like We don't know what her full game is going to be when she develops it. Like she's an amazing striker right now, but we don't even know if she has a ground game yet, right? Like that's much. <laughs> so I, that's where I kind of understand what you guys are saying about the the Paige Van Zant call out, but she needs somebody who's going to challenge her on the ground and and see if she has the wrestling background that she needs to take down somebody like Valentina, who's mm-hmm. just going to try and keep you at distance and and keep you in the kickboxing game. And uh, you, you can't really argue, though, with Macy's fire. I mean, she's uh, she believes in herself. You, you rarely see an athlete this young come in with just that kind of like, I want it all and I want it now type of deal. 
and uh, she's got it. She's got that fire there. Uh, anything else from UFC Boston that's lingering in your heart and soul? Uh, what, what do you got for me, Brandon? We need to shout out Joe Lozon for that finish on Saturday, on Friday as well. Oh man! Oh Dude, man! The half Nastiness. half Nelson arm behind his head yeah, how and just pummeling. That? I don't think I, I mean outside of like a Brock Frank Mir rematch, which they mentioned on the broadcast. You don't see that too often, Rashad. Oh, that was that was amazing, man. He he did it. He did his thing, man. And that's and, and I was so I was so excited for him because you know he, he was somebody who kind of you know took his time after his last fight and kind of decided what he wanted to do and didn't make any harsh decisions just kind of trained by himself and, and and built himself up and then went out there and had and a performance that looked like he just you know rolled back the hands of time like 10 years and and looked the best that I that I've ever seen him you know he his his timing looked amazing you know his punches looked crisp they looked strong Everything from top to bottom was a different, different guy. And you've seen, like, okay, I guess old dogs can learn some new tricks, you know? And it was good to see. Uh, fun card in Boston. I will shout that out as well. Also, Dana uh, said about, what did you say about Macy? She's a gangster. I love everything about her. Can't argue. Well, he also said, uh, see what he said about Colby? Yeah, let's hit up that. They, they asked him <laughs> what, about uh, about Colby's comments about him? Yeah, because Colby had been talking smack about Dana, and then I think Dana said, if I'm paraphrasing, but he's a bleeping idiot. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah. That's, that, wow, that's going to, uh, that thing went south. That whole attack for Colby went south fast. I mean, he can, he can, he can regain all his powers and all his momentum, obviously, with a title win against Usman, but I don't know. I got this weird feeling like Colby loses that fight and then just like kind of, kind of fades away, kind of fades away into irrelevance quick. I mean, here's the thing about it. Like, you, you got to have – like, I like Kobe's shtick because it it makes people talk. You know what I'm saying? It, it's brought some money in his pocket. But here's the thing about it. It's just so reckless because he has no parameters on what or who he will say, you know, anything about anybody. He'll say something about anybody. He'll say something about his own mama. You know what I'm saying? And and that's the thing about it. It's like when you, when you start talking trash about the president, you're talking about this person, you're talking about your teammates – who are you gonna have have your back? Like what? Like what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? And and that and that's what that's what my thing is to Colby. It's like you, you can you can create every have everything for your shtick and and do it, and that's fine. But don't burn bridges. That's gonna help you get to where you want to be. That's just stupid. So so this is what happened. So he went on a radio interview and said that I can tell you who's not wrapping the belt around my waist, and that will not be Dana White. If he tries to wrap it around my waist, I'm going to take that belt from him and slap him in the face with it. Oh, my God. Yeah, so Dana, Dana was asked about this, and he said, quote, good luck with that. He's a big mouth bleeping idiot. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It's my way and no other way. End of story. You know? Uh, that is just the truth in the UFC. That, that is, is how that works in the, the end. So, uh, is, 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 what are you doing? Is... <laughs> uh, also, this past weekend, we had B, BKFC 8. We we missed this in the preview coming in. Uh, Gabriel Gonzaga sent Bigfoot Silva to hell. I don't want I don't need that anymore in my life. They were both wearing shoes. I don't need that anymore in my life, all right? I don't need that. You didn't want the ish in your life anymore? It's, it's getting gross now. You know, it was it was cute at first. Oh, it's bare knuckle. Oh, great. Oh, there's wash boxers. Oh, there's ex-UFC. No, get it out of here. I know Phil Baroni. Who's Baroni fighting on the next BKFC card? I kind of popped for a half second for that. Do you remember who was it? Uh, 
I can't remember offhand. They brought on. back some relics on that upcoming uh, fight that's headlined by the uh, Artem Lobov versus uh, Mississippi Mud rematch. What's that guy's name? Jason Knight. Uh, Hick Nate Diaz? Is that, is that what we call him? Hick Diaz. Yes. Hick Diaz. Oh, boy. All right. We'll put that behind this. A uh, lot of news to get into, guys, before we get into the weekend preview and the interviews to come. And we kind of have to carve out its own segment this week for all of the headlines surrounding Conor McGregor. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. That's how he gets down. Uh, a second sexual assault allegation comes out in a New York Times report in which Conor McGregor's team denies it. Habib Nurmagomedov goes on Twitter and calls him a rapist. Only that's like secondary news to everything else that's come out from then. You got the back and forth on Twitter between Dana and Conor. Dana now saying Habib's the man. Conor no longer is. Conor takes offense to that, comes out. Conor, by the way, is also on a world tour, which includes stops in Moscow, which only seems to be selling whiskey. And when as far in recent comments is saying the UFC and negotiations is holding him back from fights to the extreme now where McGregor's considering putting together a charity fight this December in Ireland. Um, Collectively, here's what I got to say. The McGregor train is far off the track at this point. We've already had our own cycles in the last year of being like, man, let's play McGregor matchmaker to, hey, I'm really sick of this, dude. Fight or we don't care about you to, like, just get off my screen, get off my timeline, get out of my life. Uh, We thought he was going to fight Frankie Edgar. It seems that he's overpricing himself if you can read the tea leaves of what's going on against Dana White. And here's the deal, Rashad. Three years later. Since that night, UFC 205 against Eddie Alvarez when he was on top of the world. Would you have ever guessed if I said that night, Rashad, three years later, he would have one more UFC fight, a dominant title loss, and he would have been arrested and had allegations against him multiple times, and he would have kind of just punted away his absolute peak of his prime. Where are we? What the hell is going on here? Dude, it's the it's the 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 double edged sword when it comes to success, you know, and especially, you know, this this guy he had it all, man. He he had it he had it all. He had it everything in the palm of his hands. But at the end of the day, man, when you are constantly, you know, allowed to do whatever you want to do and 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 get away with it, then you know, sky's the limit. You just keep on doing it and doing it until you can't do it no more until people get tired of you. And I think that's where Conor McGregor's at. You know, I think that right now he's gotten so far away from where he is as a fighter, he might not know his way back. He might not know his way back to the Conor McGregor that we all come to love. He might have, you know, aligned himself so much with this this new Conor McGregor, the one who, who's who, who's making these bad decisions to the point where he doesn't even recognize the one who attained the success anymore. You know, and... Uh, it's unfortunate because I, I really, I really think Connor, you know, he, he's a very talented fighter, and I think he he can still be that guy. But um, when you're wasting your time away and you're wasting the prime of your years, then it, it doesn't get any more wasteful than that because there's going to come a time where he can fight again, but the ability to fight at that level of where he was at is going to be gone. And that's gonna make him sad. That's gonna that's gonna break his heart more than anything. And uh, 
when you start picking fights with with the promotion and all these other things and things like that, then yeah, you're you're going to lose because they have the bigger stick all day. They have the bigger stick is their promotion, you know, and Conor is going to find that out. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks because uh, there's certain things, you know, I argued when we were talking about the idea of him coming back, not wanting to come back in a co-main event that you can't do that. He's such a big brand. He's got to be a main event. And I, and I believe in that argument, but we're certainly getting to the point where it's just like, dude, just come back. Like you don't have the power when you lose the way you did to Habib. Just come back, get consistent, put some wins together. Um, Brandon, the whole idea of this Edgar fight, though, this may be another area where maybe I can take part of Connor's side where he's saying he wants to fight. Frankie wants to fight, but it's Dana White who keeps saying it won't make sense. And yesterday during part of this European World Tour where McGregor talked to reporters, he said, quote, I even offered for the Frankie Edgar bout to donate my purse to charity because they were saying we won't make enough money on the Frankie fight. And I was like, I don't care. Don't worry about me. Give my purse to charity. But for whatever reason, it's being made difficult. Like I said, we're almost there. It's never easy with this crowd. And quote, this crowd is UFC and Dana White. Uh, what do you make of, of Dana's seeming disinterest in a McGregor-Edgar bout? I get it from their perspective and when they're saying that they won't make enough money on it. But at the same time, it's like, how long can you shelf somebody that you know is a cash cow? It's it's a tough balance for an organization like this where they just need, they need to make a decision. And if you're going to keep him on the shelf for a while – you got to like kind of announce it, you know, like you got to make a decision on where you're going instead of just playing this waiting game, because we're going to get to the point here in a little while where Habib is going to have fought twice since that McGregor fight and, and Connor's just still on the bench. Well, and, that, and, that, and that's exactly it, you know, and this is what Connor's probably figuring out is the fact that, you know, the spotlight doesn't belong to anybody. And the longer you're out and you're away from the, the game, the sport, that spotlight moves. And it goes to whoever's out there representing, whoever's, whoever's out there doing the thing, whoever's out there captivating the audience, you know. And and, and when guys like Israel Adesanya fighting, and you know these these exciting fights and these these exciting storylines that that come along, you know, it you you forget about a Conor McGregor because every every week there's a UFC fight on. So as time goes on, every single time, every Every event goes on and he's not a part of it and he gets further and further in the recesses of our mind. The more he loses the potential to to bargain for that big purse that he's trying to get for UFC because his value goes down, you know, because that spotlight is not on him anymore. And and he's it's it's a tough position to be in, you know, it is. And if you read uh, the the full body of the quotes that Connor gave on Tuesday during this whiskey tour, he, he claims he tried to get on the December 14th card, but the promotion wouldn't let him for UFC 245. And he sort of gave the right words to what we're saying. He says, back when I was on top, I fought so consistently. I fought those three big fights in 2017. It was fight, fight, fight. And he basically says, look, I want to get back to that. I need the consistency. But certainly there's some kind of uh, issue here. And it's probably over money. And it's probably over uh, the control. Connor had control at a certain point that no other fighter had ever known or could have dreamed of. After the, right. I mean, the, to see the UFC again, take part in a Floyd Mayweather boxing promotion because even they couldn't avoid the amount of money and seeing UFC slide into a co-promotional B-side role just to be like, yup, we got it. We got to take advantage of this. That's a fighter having more control. I mean, he could have fought anybody at that point. He could have done anything short 
of getting a percentage of the company, which I think we all got to a point where we're like, yeah, give it to him, dude. He deserves it. But we are a long time from that. You got another sexual assault accusation. You got the lawsuit with the gold guy he punched. You just got one thing. I mean, the damn dolly. You got one thing after another. Fight. Just fight. Be humble. Come back. Fight. Or get off my timeline. <laughs> so I have a somewhat conspiracy theory to espouse. Do you think that there's a possibility that UFC is shelving him to, so to speak, because of these allegations that are against him in Ireland? Do you think that they're waiting to see what happens there before they put him back in the octagon? Because they're not sure if he's going to get jail time out of this. That's an interesting thought because uh, and, and, go ahead. Yeah, I mean that that makes that makes a lot of sense to be honest because at the end of the day whenever he's if these allegations are not cleared up and he's getting pressed for the fight, that's just going to get married into the promotion for the fight and it's going to you know leave a bad stain on that that promotion for the fight. So, I can definitely see them, you know, clearing up his legal issues before they even you know, entertain a serious big promotional fight with him. Well, that's the thing. When we talk about the idea of ha- of once having insane leverage and then losing it, the more we see these type of headlines and the more that you become a, a you know potential albatross for the promotion, dude, you don't have that leverage anymore. We did get uh, sound, though, of Connor uh, talking about the old guy that he punched. I am his daddy. Uh, unnecessary. Inappropriate. <laughs> Seriously. Um, former Conor McGregor rival, former featherweight king, Jose Aldo, guys, is seriously entertaining the idea of a move down to the friggin' Bantamweight division, 135. He wants to fight as soon as December. Did you guys see the pictures that are out there on the internet of him with shredded abs? We're talking about, like, sickly shredded abs. He wants that smoke that is Captain Cringe. Henry Cejudo, good move or bad move for a guy who I think probably has more left in the tank than his biggest critics will realize. I think it's a good move for him. And I, and I think that, you know, I think it's a well-timed move just because of the fact that, you know, he he's went and had his trials and tribulations at 45. And, you know, he, he's been able to get over his own, his get out of his own way, you know, and, and exercise some own demons in that weight class. So, so he, is able to move out of that weight class without having, without carrying any, I guess, any excess baggage, and he can go and compete in another weight class. That's what I feel because he 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 left on a good note. So at 135, I think it'd be perfect for him because you know it, it deals with the evolution of of where his body probably is at right now, but also it deals with the evolution of where you know the the weight class has moved at 145. The 145 weight class is no longer you know full of guys around his size anymore. These guys are tall, they're rangy, they have all these different things that he didn't have to face when he was big balling and shot calling in that weight class. So now 135 is the new 145 for him. So I think it's a good a good move. Brandon, he could be the savior that we've always needed to get this cringe away from us. <laughs> I could. love the cringe, man. The cringe is the best, man. He could, but I mean... There's a lot of guys at 135 right now. Yeah, like your like your son, right? There are many guys, Brian. Many guys. Uh, many. I mean, Aljo is going to be coming back soon. Peter Jan's coming back soon. I mean, I like it, but I don't know if you automatically throw him in there against Cejudo, do you? 
No, I mean, well, well I think you got to turn him. You know? Yeah, I think he got to turn him. I think he has one big fight and then a, then a Cejudo fight. You know, I mean, that's that what, I that, that I can get down. When Kenny Florian cut down to to feather there, first fight they gave him Aldo. I mean, that's what happens. You're a name. You cut down. You move up. You get it. Weidman would have got the damn title fight if he hadn't imploded on Friday. All right, that's the way it is. But you're right. There are there were many guys. Many guys. Many guys. <laughs> many guys. Looks up par. Shout out to Richard Dwyer there, who's a regular on our boxing podcast. Check that out each week. Um, by the way, uh, shout out to the boxing podcast. Have a half hour interview this week with YouTube sensation Logan Paul. Yeah, you may hate the guy. He may be Captain Cringe in your life, but it's an interesting talk about that November 9th boxing fight on DAZN. It's Logan Paul KSI to the rematch. YouTube stars unite with no headgear. And Logan Paul tells a gross story about having 15% of his right testicle removed after a stun gone wrong. So that's up to you if you want to check that out. And also, hey, this Thursday, we have a special bonus interview podcast of the State of Combat in which you are not not, not, not just going to hear from Triple H and boxing lineal heavyweight champion Tyson Fury about that uh, little bit of bingo they're going to be doing in the desert. But Jake Hager, the Bellator heavyweight who returns this Friday, We'll talk MMA. He's going to talk some pro wrestling about what he's doing in AEW. Uh, Stars of combat, all three sports will unite on one podcast. Do not miss that. All right, uh, Brando, you got any any other news for me? What do you got? Uh, The only other thing I saw going around this week was that Duke Rufus said that Cowboy Cerrone and Anthony Pettis have agreed to do a rematch of of their wild brawl that they had a while ago. That's some BMF ish, right? Yeah, yeah, you think? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, this kind. Are of, you down with this? Damn right, I'm down with this. This kind of just says to us, like, make the BMF a thing, make it a division, or just take old guys that can bang and put them. Keep, but that's but this, that's what I like about these fights because both of these guys are so evenly matched, and I think that they have both have sustained, you know, the same amount of damage, so that they can they can fight with a lot of fury the whole time and no one gets finished, just a bloody battle all the way to the end. That's what I think about this fight. You know, I think with, you know, with both of these guys, they're um, so battle tested, but just, you know, the last few opponents have, you know, been, been a bit better than them. So they've been getting on the punishing in, but they still have that durability. They still have the technique. They still have the excitement. And if they match each other, it's going to be a great fight. And Brandon, uh, Darren Till revealing that Dana White tried to talk him out of taking the Kelvin Gastelum fight. That's a little interesting. Yeah, Darren Till had some interesting comments this week. He also said that a lot of pe- that people aren't watching Colby's fights. Like they hate Colby without actually knowing that he's an amazing fighter, <laughs> and that that's something people should realize before they start hating on the man for no reason. Well, I mean, it's not for no reason. I mean, he <laughs> he, he, he does he does help you hate him, but. Uh, he he's a phenomenal fighter. You can't you, anybody. You cannot take away his skill. Like this dude, he's tough. Um, he he pushes a pace that will make anyone just just drop and maybe last a couple of rounds with them. So uh, he he's definitely no joke. But I mean, it's not for nothing. People don't like him. <laughs> Rashad, you moved it all by Cain uh, Velasquez. It was something we missed last week. Was Cain uh, Velasquez's somewhat shocking retirement? Full-time move into WWE. Now we got a Kane-Brock 2 rematch on the horizon. Halloween, Saudi Arabia. Uh, 
you know, we've talked in the past about the sort of lament for what Kane could have been. Good God, he's a Hall of Famer. He's a two-time heavyweight champion. But the idea that he, you know, he had, there was a, there was a prime moment there where we thought he was the best heavyweight we've ever seen and maybe could have become that. How happy are you for him, though, at finding another outlet late in his career to the point where he just said, look, I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm out of the USADA pool. I got to hit the gym because I got to fight Brock in the desert. I love it, man. I really do, you know, because it's not only something that he has something to do, like, oh, man, now he found something else besides, you know, fighting, but he really, really found something else. Like, he really found something that speaks to his heart. He really found something that he can be passionate about. He really found something that he can put the same energy that he had towards fighting, you know, towards towards wrestling. And that's what it's all about, you know, because when you're a fighter, you, you're you're doing it because it's your expression. You're you're doing it as an expression of of who you are, you know. And when that's gone, you know, you have to find something else to to have that expression be let out. And to find something like wrestling, something that's fun, not so serious, uh, it's tough on your body, but it, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun for him, you know. So I, I like that for Kane, man. I think it's a great move. Will you care at all? Will you follow the storylines? Will you try yeah, to find I'll, a replay? Will you I'll tune watch. In? I'll watch. I'll definitely watch. I'll definitely watch, man. I thought about doing some wrestling, man, but I just don't got the body for it, man. I, I'm a little guy. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm too skinny. You got, you got the mic skills. I think you can pull that off. Yeah. I can pull that off, but I just I just don't, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those big guys, and I'm not going to take anything. All right. Well, I mean, hey, John Cena, I got something to tell you. You're going to do what I want you to do, and that's just the <laughs> And the sooner you come to realize it, the more comfortable be with the results. Yeah. F off, John Cena. Take that's, that. All right. It. Indeed that's there. Uh, guys, we got a big weekend to come in the fight game. UFC Singapore, we'll get to that in a second. But Bellator's got two cards back-to-back, Friday night, Saturday night, my backyard there of the Mohegan Sun Casino in rural Connecticut. The big one, though, is 232 Saturday night, and that must-see welterweight title rematch. That's also the finals of the Bellator welterweight World Grand Prix when champion Rory McDonald faces off against former two-time belt holder Douglas Lima, the phenom, maybe even the biggest, best-kept secret in all of mixed martial arts. Must-see fight, can't wait, had a chance to catch up with these two blokes this week in New York. I want to throw to that sound first, beginning with the Red King himself, Rory McDonald. Yes, maybe we'll get a little of this from him. I guarantee you, I will take that belt from you, and I will take your health. Wow, wow, health being thrown around Mm. and talked about. Let's throw to Rory right now, coming at you. Enjoy. The champ is here, Bellator welterweight champion Rory McDonald, ahead of a must-see rematch Saturday night, Bellator 232. Finals of the welterweight Grand Prix, which has been one heck of a tournament, but a rematch of one of 2018's most exciting fights, a hellacious war. Second time around. What's your mindset coming in? I'm really confident. You know, I felt like I have a uh, a great game plan, uh, a great camp going into this fight. So I'm going to take what I did in in the gym and just apply it in the fight. And I think it's going to be a very dominant fight. It's interesting paths that both of you have taken to this tournament final. When this tournament gets announced... We're fired up. We literally don't know. Is Rory going to be able to walk through here and hold on to the title? Who's going to make this run? Who's going to sort of jump off the paper? Douglas Lima rolls through a couple guys, makes some big noise. You had more of a circular route to get there. How confident are you having gone through a draw against John Fitch? Maybe not coming in there with knockout, knockout like Lima has been, that you're going to be able to mentally regroup and be that same guy. 
they may have been decisions my fights, but I and I did get a draw. But I mean, I the way I viewed the fight, it was very dominant and uh, was health, very healthy. I didn't receive any damage besides hurting myself on them, elbowing them in the head or whatever it may be. So I felt like both my fights were very dominant. And I'm super confident going into this fight, even though, you know, he's been doing great and props to him. It's uh, leading up to uh, a great rematch. Fired up. I cannot wait to see how this plays out and what's it look like in that John Fitch fight. Were you in agreement? Or could you understand where the judges are coming from scoring that a draw? No, not really at all. I mean, I know that was his hometown and everything. He spent some time on top of me with his uh, with his wrestling control, but uh, and and you know what I going back, I, I wish I had fought harder in those positions. I was you know in my own head in those moments, but I mean, besides him having those controlling moments, I mean I was all over him in every every spot of the fight. So obviously I don't agree with it, but that's that's what happens when it goes to the decision. It doesn't always go the way you think. Based on your post-fight interview in that, there is a lot of talk. Will Rory be the same guy? You go in there in the semifinals against Neiman Gracie. He's undefeated. You score a, a technical, strong win. Was there a part of you that needed to go out there and, and be that dominant to remind yourself who the Red King is? Uh, I, I was very confident going into that fight. I mean, obviously, um, you know, I had some a confusing interview after the John Fitch fight. People didn't know if my heart was still in it, um, but the Lord gave me clarity moving forward. So I was able to have peace of mind and just go in there and compete uh, as I always do with, uh, you know, peace and joy in my heart. How different is your mindset before getting deep in, in your in your faith and sort of the stuff you talked about in the Fitch fight and maybe who you were as a younger fighter in your UFC days in terms of the way you look at a fight and approach it mentally. Yeah, definitely my journey as a martial artist and a, and a professional fighter have changed. Um, even, even before I, before I became a Christian, you know, it was a, you know, I was growing from like a 16 year old, you know, into, you know, when I was all the way up to when I fought for the world title, I think it was 25 or six. So, you know, those are years that, you know, you change and grow. So my outlooks changed and grew when new people were coming into my life and influences. So, you know, I've been, I've been going through, you know, growing up as a man, as a, you know, a kid experiencing that being on a, a platform, you know, professional fighter, but definitely, you know, the Lord has changed my life since giving my heart to him. And uh, it's been in the public eye and, you know, I, I really feel like maybe that interview in the moment, I regretted it because people got to see, but I don't now because I know that the Lord, uh, he's, he's showing me uh, what's next and being able to have that in the spotlight for people to see. And when the story comes, comes uh, full circle, it's going to be uh, all the better. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked on that. You were incredibly real. At such a, a vulnerable moment after a fight and after a fight that didn't necessarily go the way you ex- expected or, or hoped or thought you had performed in what we talked about it being a draw. And you were so naked, so real. And, and I, and I can understand what you're saying where initially you maybe regretted it. Did you get people reaching out to you saying that was, that was awesome to, to hear you put it out like that? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people are really, uh, uh, found it inspiring or they wanted to reach out to, you know, support me and, you know, 
fellow Christians that are fighters wanted to, you know, give me a word of advice, things like that. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't regret it at all. Obviously, I've had to answer a lot of questions on it, but uh, it's going to be for uh, it's going to be for all the good. You know, when when it comes full circle, I go out there and I have a dominant victory. And, and the re- how, however the rest of my life, uh, you know, uh, works out, you know, it's going to be all for the better. That, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Now, what is the difference, though, if any, between the two of you from that first fight in January 2018? You win a close decision. Fights up for grabs. You go out there in that fifth round and you control him on the ground. I mentioned Douglas Lima's kind of hot right now. That's certainly a thing. Do you think either of you has changed that much, though, in less than two years here? We definitely changed. Um, I feel like Douglas is motivated. He's worked hard. He's, you know, you can tell he's hungry to to get to be a champion and to, you know, to beat me. But, you know, I've I've also changed. I feel like um, I'm a quick learner and uh, I can apply a lot of different fighting styles so I can I could change on the fly. And uh, I, I think uh, I'm going to go out there and surprise a lot of people. That first fight, man, you had uh, you had a left leg from hell here in terms of the abscess that's growing on there from the leg kicks. But you got to give you nothing but credit for not only gutting it out, but you were able to consistently close distance and keep that fight off of the feet, keep that from becoming a problem. You even surprise yourself at all at your ability to dig deep in those moments. It's not like we didn't know you could. It's not like we didn't see you in the kind of wars in the past in the UFC. But to be able to really steady your mind and stick with that game plan when things are going haywire. I think it came down to experience because I've been in those those uh, battles before where you really have to make a decision when the anxiety of the moment is there when your body or your mind is telling you to quit the easy way out is right there. Um, but I was hungry and I didn't want to feel that, that disappointment of knowing maybe I could have done a little extra, you know, where I've experienced that in the past and I've learned from it. And, you know, it felt good to know that I did learn from those, those uh, upsets, those disappointments and applied it in a hard situation. Can you give us a, a sort of layman's terms explanation of what the heck that felt like, especially when he when he dropped you with the leg kick? I mean, how com- compared to other things you've endured inside the cage, what was that like? Um, it was intense. I mean, obviously, I had a lot of anxiety, so you know, you you kind of freak out inside, you know, because you're you have a lot of eyes on you. It's a huge moment. Yeah, it's a world title, big opportunity, and something I train really hard for. And was determined to get. It was a big moment in my life for me and my family. So, you know, being experiencing like that kind of damage in fights before, I didn't want that same feeling to happen again. I didn't want to be disappointed again. I didn't want people to be disappointed. So that's uh, that was a motivating factor. You know, and also just, you know, asking the Lord to give me the strength to get through it really helped me as well. You know, you mentioned disappointing, and I can understand as a competitor, you know, we can use the second Robbie Lawler fight as an example with the UFC, you know, a fight of the year, a fight of our lifetime type of fight. I'm sure as a competitor, you're upset that you lost that, but given the love people have for that fight, are you able to distance yourself to a certain point and say, I'm just happy to have been a part of a war like that? Somewhat, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's that fight is kind of like a landmark of what people, you know, when they think of me, they immediately go back to that fight, which is which is cool. You know, obviously I I came out, you know, losing, but 
they still have that respect. It's not like they remember me for getting squashed and being a baby, you know? Like, it was a, it was a battle, you know? Um, we both showed a lot of heart, and, you know, it was a, a real fight. So having that respect attached to it is nice, you know? Did you feel like you had anything to prove that night, looking back, in terms of your toughness? I was just hungry to win. I mean, uh, going into that fight in my career before that, my life was fighting. I had nothing else. So it was everything um, was for that moment to be world champion. So there was a lot riding on it for me personally at the time. So a lot riding on Bellator signing you and the time you came over in your absolute prime from UFC. People are going to argue that you were the most important free agent that the company's acquired. For you personally, how has the journey been? Because there's certain business and personal advantages in switching companies at this level. What's the Bellator journey been like for you? It's been good. Really positive. Don't regret the decision at all. Um, it's been uh, it's been awesome. The last few years of Bellator has been great. My life's been going wonderful, and uh, I'm super thankful for my experiences. I love your interviews. Love talking to you because it's it's like when you look out at a mountain overlooking the water, and you're like, okay, that's about two thousand feet in the air, and then the people say, well, underneath it's about another four thousand feet going down. I feel like on the inside, there's just so much uh, well thought out passion and knowledge inside of you. <laughs> That, that sometimes you share with the world. Okay. You are, do you consider yourself a deep guy? Are you very well read? Are you are you sort of a a, a book nerd, if you no, will, outside of the cage? All. Not at all. I'm just I don't know. I'm quiet, I guess. Unless you get to know me, then I'm a little more outspoken. But no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself a philosopher or anything like that. Do you have hobbies that are allow you to, to, to press pause on on the fight life? Are you, are you a painter? Are you anything like that? Or are you basically living this twenty four seven outside of your family? Uh, yeah, my family is obviously, you know, a huge part of my life. But, um, you know, since being a new Christian, just reading and studying the Bible is uh, a big passion of mine outside of fighting um, and applying it and getting to reap the benefits of it. It's been that's, you know, a big one for me. Your journey to get back to this, uh, to get to this Bellator final and to get into this championship rematch with Douglas Lima, it's been wild. We mentioned not just the, uh, John Fitch draw and all everything that came in the aftermath of the post fight interview, but the, the title loss moving up to middleweight against Gegard Mustasi. I mean, look, it's a dare to be great moment. We love that as fans. Didn't go the way you planned. Are you able to carve out positives that you took from that and learned? Yeah, just pretty much like, I, I mean, I didn't. I just didn't go in that fight ready in any in any in any way. You know, I it was a big opportunity, and uh, I just didn't. Uh, it wasn't the right time. I should have pulled back. I should have put pumped the brakes on saying yes to that fight at that point in time. It just wasn't the right time and place for it. But uh, you know, that's the exciting part of being a, a Bellator fighter. They gave me a really cool opportunity that I'm thankful to be a part of. Does the competitor inside of you, do you still eat away at that L? Do you still, you know, wake up at night saying, Not I really. just did this instead? Not really. Um, I learned that I, what not to do, you know, going into that fight. And I'm just happy that I don't continue to make those mistakes. How much do you think about legacy? And you're right still in the midst of your prime right now. Some guys, just a business, we're just cash and checks. Some guys, they just love it. Love getting in there, love exchanging. Other people are looking at it, no, I, I'm trying to get in books. I'm trying to get remembered for a certain thing, for certain accomplishments along the way. Where, where's your mindset in terms of this job and well, this passion? It's definitely changed over the years um, with my outlook on fighting. As a teenager, I wanted to be the 
undefeated, greatest of all time, you know, multi-weight champion, this and that. But, you know, it's obviously changed over the years. Now, you know, this is, you know, it's a job of mine. It's a passion. I'm passionate about martial arts. Am I in it to leave a legacy of a, a great fighter? Not so much. I mean, I want to express myself and people that, like, love my fighting. It's really important. But I think now being a, a born-again Christian, having a calling from the Lord, I want people to experience the goodness of God. And if people can come back to me and be like, you know, what you said or your story really inspired me to press in and, you know, you know, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've experienced miracles in my life from Him. That would really give me a lot of happiness. People that, that have conversions in their life, a lot of times spiritual, can come from a negative place into a positive place. Was there something that fueled the uh, the change in your life to adopt the Christian faith? No, um, I was in a dark place. It didn't fuel me to be like, okay, I, I need Jesus. I, like it was, it was the grace of God that came to me and threw me a lifeline. I, I, I literally didn't want anything to do with it. There was an interest there, but, um, you know, it's, it's all thanks to God that, you know, that he changed my life and my circumstances and, uh, transformed me from my, from my heart to my mind and my, my circumstances now in life. It's very inspiring. When you look at this rematch and we are, uh, so all we can talk about in the MMA game in terms of what this fight would look like, the big theme the first time around was what the leg kicks did to you. How much has that been a part of your game plan and your and your strategy and your plan of attack to avoid it's, that the second time it's, around? Yeah, it's a big one. Um, don't want to walk that road again. So I feel like uh, what we've done in the in the lead up to this, we will address it and be able to uh, go and dominate without having to worry about that. What would this win? at this point, mean to your career? Oh, it's, I would say it's the biggest fight of my career. Uh, a lot of eyes on this one, um, rooting, uh, expecting me to lose this fight. So um, I'm excited to go out there and just, you know, maybe shock people and be like, okay, well, maybe we were wrong. So. Just a little bit of Roy Jones, you all must have forgot type deal. Sorry. Just a little bit uh, of, uh, you know, you yeah, still the champ, you know, haven't lost the belt. Don't, don't forget about me type of deal. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I can't really think back of what his situation was. But obviously, you know, I'm, I'm the underdog going into this. and Yeah, I still feel like I have a lot to show and I, I'm about to go do it. Have you been... I don't think you've been in this in this spot, the, the underdog champion. This this most sort of, of Most of my career, my young career, I was every fight was underdog. And I actually enjoyed it because... You know, I was a teenager, I was fighting older guys, um, you know, a small town kid, not training with big names or anything. So I got used to that. And being back here full circle, it's, it's, uh, it's something I, it was like my foundation of like going into fights. I'm used to that. And I always used it as a, a positive thing. It's never something that I was like, ah, oh, you know, yeah, I'm going to pout about this or I'm going to be sad that, you know, uh, no one, no one thinks I'm good. This and that. I'm not going to take negative. In fact, I just, it just, it's more fuel for the fire to go out there and prove everyone wrong. Uh, you've had a consistent theme in your career, not just a very skilled fighter who can essentially do it all, but man, you got, you got dog in you. And then you certainly need it at this level, but you've been, you've had to show that at times and, and you've passed a lot of those tests. Where do you think that comes from? How, you know, how does, how was that able to separate you from, from from other guys aspiring to be in your spot? Well, it's definitely 
grown over the over the time but uh i think that it's it's uh something that was inside of me i always had um i always had that that in me whatever i did um but it's it's been developed you know through hard situations in life and learning from disappointments on how to knock down the, the those walls when they come at me again because that's i mean in every situation of life whether it's fighting your career a situ a personal situation you got to be able to knock down those 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 walls that life throws at you you uh were tied with gsp for a while in the same gym people always looked at you as you know next big thing coming out of montreal there do you still keep in touch with george's is? yeah george is at the gym always um so we talk often how what's the biggest thing you can point to in terms of effect that he's had on your career well, uh, he really helped me a lot when I first moved to Montreal. Actually, even before, he'd bring me out and, you know, he gave me a lot of, um, like, like, uh, coaching almost. Like, he'd bring me around to all his training sessions, train with me, like, one on one. Like, we were, you know, we were really close in that matter. We were always training together for at least, it gotta be a couple of years. Um, so I got to spend a lot of time with George and to see how he does things and uh, take what works in his schedule and apply it to my life. You're building your own path, your own legacy right now. And uh, it's a big one. You said the biggest of your career, Saturday night, Bellator 232, the rematch, Douglas Lima. Final question. What's got to go right for Rory to get his hand raised the second time around? I think whatever I've been doing in the gym, um, I just got to bring that same, that same guy out there that's been in the gym and uh i think i'm getting my hand raised you're gonna take his health you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna hold that title that's a great promo but you don't get a lot of promos from roy no no i i i, I wish health and happiness to him but uh, <laughs> he's not gonna come out the victor in saturday night <laughs> you heard it right here can't wait to check that out well he gets done saturday night 232 on the zone it's the champ roy mcdonald thank you sir thank you all right special thanks to an introspective a deep rory mcdonald there guys you know what the champ is like. You know where we're at, which we just talked about in that interview, where you have a Doug Lima who whose stock is just rising, and you got a Rory McDonald who's got a lot of question marks. He talked about being the underdog, people betting against him, people wondering if he's still the same, not just after the destructive middleweight title loss to Musasi, but that draw with, with uh, John Fitch and the infamous sort of interview afterwards where where he even talked about whether his heart has has it anymore for this type of violence for this type of game. Rashad, what do we do with this? Even that interview was somewhat inconclusive to try to really figure out where Rory is at. Where do you think Rory is at physically and mentally entering what he's calling the biggest fight of his career? I think he's in the right place and that interview kind of showed it to me, you know, from Norman Rory. I used to train out in uh and try start and I and I know Rory and I know when Rory is in that you know contemplative quiet you really can't tell what's what what he's really thinking that 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 state that's a dangerous guy because that means that he's in the mindset to go and do some damage he's not over analyzing everything he's not over analyzing his his own actions he's just Focus on the task at hand. When you see Rory McDonald speaking out more about, you know, the the uh, psychological aspects, or just being more more vocal about what's what's going on in him, then you can tell that's a Rory McDonald who 
who, who's facing a lot going into a fight. He has a lot of questions in himself, you know, but this is a Rory McDonald who's focused on a task at hand and knows he's going to have to go to that dark place with Douglas Lima, and you can already see him mentally preparing himself. Yeah, there was, there was uh, zero doubt coming off of him. He, he he was the Red King sitting next to me. He he was that dude, and, and he talked a lot about, you know, the spiritual journey and the fact that he feels God has spoken to him and, and given him back the direction and the power he needs for this fight. Um, Brando, he's such an interesting character. Like, I really enjoyed interviewing him because – like I said in there, there's just so much, I feel like there's so much depth, but inside of him, he just isn't really that always articulate and how to pull that out of himself. He's a, he's a, he's a focused, uh, sometimes scary dude from that regard. But, uh, how, what do you think, what do you think this fight means to his career? Like, I mean, he's coming in there with the belt, yet people can argue he didn't even beat John Fitch. He shouldn't have advanced, but that was the rules of the tournament. Um, if he loses this fight, could he ever be the same? Is, is the idea of the prestige brand of high, of big name free agent Roy McDonald over? It might be. I mean, the the vibes that you got from him, the, the previous interviews that you've done, make it seem like if he loses this fight, he might just walk away and find something else to do with his time. So, I mean, yeah, in that sense. But I also think like this is going to be that kind of fight like Rashad was saying. Like this is just going to be hellacious battle over five grueling rounds where they're both going to have their moments of, and look great and then somebody's going to rally back and just land something of 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 uh significance that makes it tough for them to come back. So I I just think this is going to be one of those just all out brawls for 25 minutes where you're not going to be sure who wins the fight until the end the final bell. Rory's still just 30 years old, still in the midst of that physical prime, although we can't discount the mileage that is added up on his body. I mean, good God, that Robbie Lawler rematch at UFC 189. You can see sitting up close to Rory, you can see the damage on his nose, the scars that he took from that fight. And it was interesting to hear his sort of perspective even years later. I almost felt like I could still hear the disappointment as a competitor in his voice, even talking about that fight. But uh, do you think... And look, he's calling this the biggest fight of his career. So this this question is a little naive to even throw it out now. But do you think oh, he's lived up to that potential up to this point at age 30, Rashad, when he first came onto the scene at TriStar and we looked at him as sort of GSP Jr. And we're like, holy crap, this guy's the next big thing. The career took some circular turns along the way. Do you think he has fulfilled his 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 full potential yet? You think there's still time? Where are you sort of at on the on? on sort of the arc of Roy McDonald. I I think that uh, he has in some ways, but I think that ultimately speaking, he hasn't to, to where he, he would like to be. You know, I, I, I foreseen Roy McDonald when, when he was coming up uh, and underneath, you know, they were saying he's the next under GSP. I, I seen him as a divisional champion, you know, for a while, for years, you know, in, in the UFC. But uh, at the time where he was competing, it, it was one of the hardest, times in that weight class you know with, with the whole transition at the gsp left it was just uh it really left a, a really tough weight class for him but um i think that you know with with a big win against douglas lima or one that you know one that uh he stands proud of i think you can start to see him you know start to to 
to be like, you know what, I, I can do this and I, and I can do this at a high level and I want to do this at a high level. You know, I think that with, with Rory, um, his intelligence uh, and, and here's the thing about it. Here's the reality. Like when you fight, you, you have to be savage. You got to be savage. It, 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 you can't be civilized. You have to be a savage. But as you get years in the sport and as you get smarter, you start to become more civilized. And as you become more civilized, you lose a little bit of that, that savageness and that, that hurts your fighting game. So if he can dig back into that savageness and, uh, and kind of hold off some of his intellect, then he might be that Rory that, that, that has lived up to that potential that we all foreseen before GSP. To, to almost push off because he is so insanely smart. I mean, you see that. He, he's very smart, but it's, 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 that's the double, that's the double edged side. Like when you're too smart, sometimes it makes it so that you become too civilized and, and the savagery that it takes to be a, a fighter like we do, you, you just can't perform at that level because you're just not savage enough. Interesting stuff there. And I liked Rory being open and honest and saying the Musasi fight, he just wasn't right in the, in the, in the right head space. That was right before the start of this welterweight grand prix. That was uh, not too far removed from that John Fitch fight. You know, they were back to back. So you, you know what he was probably walking through mentally, spiritually during that battle. But I mean, even if Rory did lose this fight guys, and that, that certainly it could be in the end of his career. You never know. You look back at what he did. I know we, we sort of say, okay, well, he never won the UFC title. Like we thought, he, you know, could have or should have. And certainly I remember that Stephen Thompson fight being, which was his last one in the UFC, being pivotal where it was like, okay, if he could bounce back from the Lawler loss and beat a guy like like Wonderboy at that point, he'll probably get there. And then, of course, his, the career fortunes changed. He lost that decision. He ends up signing with Bellator. But yet he has wins over Nate Diaz, BJ Penn, Jake Ellenberger, Damian Maya, Tyron Woodley, Paul Daly, and Douglas Lima. Good God, if you never accomplished anything else, that ain't bad. That ain't bad at all. Right. <laughs> that ain't bad at all when you talk about the best welterweights of this era. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, speaking of a guy who may end up being the best welterweight, of one of the best welterweights of this era, he's certainly projecting and trajecting in the right direction. It's Douglas Lima, the phenom. We're going to chat with him right now, coming at you. Sitting next to the best kept secret in all of mixed martial arts. Maybe no longer, though, because he's making some big news. It's Douglas Lima, two-time Bellator welterweight champion. This Saturday at Bellator 232, the fight we all had been waiting for since this welterweight Grand Prix tournament was first booked. When you go in there against defending champion Rory McDonald, great to have you in here, man. Pleasure. (laughs) How fired up are you? The rematch of, of the spectacular fight you guys had in 2018. Rory gets the close decision win. What's your mindset entering this one? Feel great, you know, very excited and fired up, like you said. Um, you know, it's a rematch that I've been waiting since I lost that that close decision. But uh, I think it's great timing for it, man. End of the tournaments, the finals. You know, we both you know beat you know game opponents to get here. And, uh, yeah, this is good. This is good. When this bracket was announced, mm-hmm. we're looking at it. We're like, Rory's going to enter with the championship belt. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if he's going to get out of the first round. There's so many good fighters yeah, in this. Yeah. We didn't know if MVP was going to jump through and be the real. The guy, Michael Venipage, that you knocked out in your last fight. Were you looking at Rory? Were you hoping that it's him at the end of the line? For sure. Ever since last. I mean, I wanted, I wanted it to be the first fight, you know, because, man, I wanted that belt back. But uh, I'm glad you worked out the way it has. You know, he's on the other side. I'm on this side. You know, both 
you know, tough division, tough uh, bracket ahead of us, and uh, we're here at the finals. So it pretty much says, you know, two of the best, you know, two of the best of Bellator in the finals. So it couldn't be, it couldn't be better. Everything is good. Now you're one of the top welterweights in the world, regardless of of organization. You've really on the on a great stretch right now with Bellator. Even though we've known your name for a while as a two time former champion, do you feel like you're getting the respect though? Not just across the sport, but but you know. When you go back to Brazil, where, where where your stature, your star value is higher than it's ever been right now? It's definitely higher than it's ever been. It's getting better. You know, I think it got even more after that last knockout. At the MVP knockout, everybody talked about it. Still are, you know, to this day. So, I mean, I just got to keep doing it. Keep KOing, keep getting these good finishes. And uh, I got to do my job, you know. But, keep, uh, keep kicking dudes in the <laughs> leg and start having those things grow out of it like we saw against Rory. But I want to talk yeah. to you about that semifinal bout against MVP. Mm-hmm. He had never taken a loss. He is yeah. such a dynamic, creative striker. How did you prepare for that? How nervous were you? Not not nervous in the sense gotcha. of losing, but knowing that this guy can pull anything out at any time. Yeah, it's a, a de- definitely a different and difficult opponent, you know. Uh, but the main thing with him is like when he gets into people's head, you know, joking around, playing, the talking, you know, I just didn't let that get to me. You know, I'm a calm guy inside the cage, outside the cage, and he always respected me. You know, he never said anything bad about me, so uh, he just couldn't get to my head. So once, once I was in there, I was just staying focused waiting for the right moment. I knew I was going to beat him. You know, I knew I could beat him. You know, uh, it just happened. It just happened. The body <laughs> fell in front of you, and, it, and, it, and it, it was a great viral <laughs> highlight that got you a lot of attention. Yeah. When I look back mm-hmm. at your career, though, mm-hmm. the trilogy with Kurosh Cuff, you've had these great moments, but I feel like you got better in such steady, incremental ways along the way. Was there a turning point at all for you in that where you're like, hold up. I'm gonna. I might be the best in the world in my own division. I, I think I've really got a chance at, at at fulfilling all full potential. I think man, the older I got, uh, the better I get because you get more. I don't know, I guess more focus. You know, because uh, before I used to get really big in between fights, and I was young. You know, I used to drink back then. I quit all of that, and uh, I'm just a I don't know a better martial artist. I guess you know. I'm always trying to improve, man. I'm 31. I feel very young at this game still. You know, even though I got a lot of miles in me, a lot of fights, a lot of crazy injuries that happen, I feel good. And I want to learn. And I love, I still got the love for the sport. And I think that's the main thing. And, uh, man, everybody nowadays are tough. You know what I mean? The competition is harder. There's young guys coming up that's very game. You know, they, they're ready to go. And uh, I got to, man, I got to stay. You know what I mean? You, you've made some physical growth adding to your game, but a lot of it mental, too. We yeah. first saw you fight for a title, I think it was 2012, against Ben Askren in the Bellator yep. cage. How different are you mentally today from that guy? Oh, man. Different person. You know, against Ben Askren, you know, I'm not using it as an excuse, but, man, I was in vacation before that fight. And eight weeks out, I came back and started camp. Like, eight weeks for a wrestler like that, it's just there's no way. Just to get my way back down, that was three weeks, you know, and... uh Oh, I definitely paid the price there. <laughs> I, learned, I learned from, you know, I got beat up bad for five rounds and, you know, but that just makes you grow, you know, it makes you more mature and like, man, this is a serious job that I had to take more serious, you know, I'm always training now, training is lifestyle, lifestyle for me, 
And uh, I'm just, you know, as I grow, as I get older, you know, I get smarter with it and with the training, of course, and treating my body. It's like, it's a regular thing for me now. All right. The first fight with you and Roy McDonald, January 2018, Los Angeles. Uh, this was a this was a hellacious piece of business you guys put together. A great five round war. He wins the title from you in close decision. I think it was his second fight under the Bellator banner. When the scores are being read, did you think you had done enough? <sighs> yes and no. Uh, yes, because I did a lot of damage. You know what I mean? He was he couldn't stand up by himself. He could barely walk. But that last round, my goodness, that still hunts me today. You know? Fight up for grabs entering round five. You spend Pretty most much. of that fight on your back. All of that round. It's still, it's still in your head. It's, it's still, still here. Exactly. I was like, man, the guy couldn't walk. But he gave it all. I'll give it to him because he gave it all on that last round. He was like, man, he didn't give me an inch of space to get up. You know, he knew if he would get up one time there, that would be it because he couldn't walk anymore. You know what I mean? He made the most of it. I man, so much respect for that because man, the way he was, the injury that he had for him to do that, you know, you gotta respect that. So the injury you're talking about on his left shin, a, a he basically gave birth to another <laughs> being that was popping out there, and you attacked it. Yeah. You dropped him. Uh, it was like shades of the great Jose Aldo <laughs> in terms of that weapon. Uh, yeah, yeah. What makes your leg kicks more dangerous than the average bloke inside that cage? Uh, I think, the, I mean, for me, everybody kicks hard. You know, everybody can kick hard. But as far as landing it all the time, landing it in the right time, I think the timing is very important on that kick. Because power, man, I mean, I got power. You know, I I really think I do got a lot of power, but everybody does. Everybody hits hard. You need small gloves. There's no protection. That thing is going to hurt. But being able to land, it's a different story. That is, that is a different story. Yeah. How did you feel in that first fight against Rory? Look, when you were both in the stand-up, mm -hmm. changing, exchanging punches, did you feel like you were with him on an even level? Yeah, I was comfortable there with him. I mean, I still had the little nerves because, man, he just came in a big name. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fighting Rory, man. That's good. It's a good chance. But... There was so much that I was thinking, like, man, I can't do this. I can't lose this fight. I think I put too much pressure on me, and I respected him too much in the fight, you know. And uh, But I felt good. It's like afterwards, I was like, man, what are you doing? You could have finished this guy, man. I could have finished him two rounds. You know what I mean? But right now, it's just another fight, man. I think I'm looking that I'm the champion, even though I don't have the belt now. But, like, feel, I feel good. I feel like I'm the champion already. Well, if we're going to compare... Looking at the two of you as your fighter stocks, you're rising. We talked about the win over MVP, the trilogy win over Koreshkov to get to this point. Rory's still the champion, but we can't act like mm -hmm. he didn't have the draw against John Fitch. Yeah. The loss at middleweight when he moved up to fight Musasi. The interview after the Fitch fight mm -hmm. in which he was very honest. Do you yep, feel yep. like you're facing uh, the term damaged goods would be insulting, but somebody mm -hmm. who's not the same version of that champion when you met him in January 2018? I mean, I, I'm, I'm deciding to not think like that. You know, I'm expecting the best out of him because uh, even though he had, you know, those stuff, those, you know, those falling, I guess how you can say, but uh, he still fought good, in my opinion. You know, he still went out there and fought 10 rounds against tough guys. You know what I mean? He won, so... I feel that he's in a good place right now, and I think that he, he he looks comfortable. He looks ready, confident, you know what I mean? So, man, I'm expecting the best out of him. What was going through your head, though, when he gave that speech after the Fitch draw, where he advances because he's the champion, and like we mentioned, he said, look, I don't know if I can keep going on fighting like this. Were you? Did you have some doubt about who he is? I didn't have any doubts, but, 
you know, it's a personal thing that he was going through, and I knew that would pass. And I've been through stuff like that before. Uh, you know, I'm a Christian man myself. I know what he's going through, and uh, I know he was going to come back from it. I think it's just just too much emotion, especially right after a fight, a close, hard fight. And uh, he just spoke from the heart, man. I respect that. You know, a lot of people does, but uh, I, st I, I, I still think he still got it on him. You know, he's still a dangerous fighter. You know, he's a good striker, good, you know, he's complete, complete fighter, you know. So uh, I'm expecting him to bring it. I'm going to bring it. He's going to be even better than the first time. Can't wait for this fight. I'll be there <laughs> in my own backyard there of Connecticut. Mohegan Sun when it's on to zone two. Bellator 232 on Saturday night in this main event title rematch. Looking back at that first fight, how much is wrestling defense, takedown defense going to be a big part of the attack for you in this one? For sure. I mean, I showed that against Koreshkov, and I had to work on that. And it wasn't really about the defense. It's just a mental thing. Because, man, every time I'll get there, I was like, man, I can't get tired. I'm not going to fight this position. It's too hard. I don't want to guess out. It's like, man, that's out of the question. It's like you're going to have to fight. If you're tired, you fight tired. You know, and that's the mentality that, I, that I'm going through in these fights now. Because, man, can't let that happen. Man, can't give up a takedown in the last round when you have the fight in the bag. So, like I said, I, it was a lot of growth for me after that fight. And uh, I'm ready to show you this Saturday. Oh, man, I'm fired up. I'm fired up for this one. I want to see I'm this fight up. now. I'm go now. That was a hellaciously fun fight yes, the first time around. You're making big moves. Mm -hmm. How fun has this tournament been as a whole? Because what I like about it as a journalist, as a fan, is you don't know what matchup you're going to get. It's not like, you know, will this guy face this guy? Hey, you signed up for it. You're going to have to face the best. Has this been something you enjoyed? I love it. You know, it's like my third tournament with Bellator. You know, my fourth in my career. I won all of them. Here I am about to win another one. And uh, it feels good. It's like I say, you don't know who you're going to face. You know, uh, I would rather pick the opponents like right there. They give me a box with the names and pick <laughs> it up. And that, that, for me, that's the way to go, you know. But they chose it. You know, it was pretty much strikers against grapplers in some ways. And I like how they did it. I loved the turnout of it. You know, every eight guys was game. They was ready to go. And uh, here we are, man. The last, you know, part of it. And I feel good. I feel good. I feel great, honestly, man. I just can't wait to go. Can't wait. What would the Douglas Lima, the phenom of 2006, when you turn pro, think? If you showed him where you are today on the cusp mm -hmm. of this rematch, third chance at the Bellator title. Would you believe you'd, you'd accomplished this much? I did. I would. Because uh, I always had a, you know, I had faith. I, I loved this. Ever since like I started training, I knew this was going to be my career. You know, I think it could be even better if I wasn't so dumb when I was young, you know. <laughs> if, I would, uh, if I had my mindset right now that I, that I did back then, woof, I'll be undefeated world champion. Maybe not undefeated, but... <laughs> I'll probably be even better, but uh, it's just a blessing what it's been. You know, it's been an amazing, you know, ups and downs, and I feel good. I feel good with myself. You know, I feel good with what I've done and what I've been doing, and uh, I just want to keep getting better, keep getting better, leave a legacy behind. You know, and uh, you know, learning, learning from the mistakes. You know, learning and getting better every day, not just you know in fighting. It's life. You know, and. Uh, I love, I love the process. I love it. I love hearing you break that down. So when we see you walk in there and touch gloves with Rory for 
the second round, if you will, round two of the, of this fight series against you, title on the line. What's this fight gonna look like? We going five full? Or are we? Are you? Are you thinking? Are you hoping to end it early? What's this fight gonna look like? I'm hoping to end it early, like two, three minutes in, two, two rounds at most. You know, I'm looking to finish him. I'm looking to finish him no matter what. But we're ready to fight five rounds as well. You know what I mean? Like I said, his game, he's not an easy guy to fight. You know, they got good strategies and game plans. They're always good with that. But uh, I'm prepared for the best of him. And I uh, hope he's ready to, for what's coming. Cause... All right, if you get your hand raised, what does that kind of mm-hmm. say to the rest of the world about who you are? Like man, I've always wanted to be in the top. You know what I mean? Top of the division. I want to be talked about one of the best welterweights, the best welterweight on the planet. And uh, that's one step closer right there. I really believe, you know, I'm 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 up I'm up there, and I can beat any welterweight on the planet any given day. You know, any despite the organization, it doesn't matter where I can beat anybody. Leg kicks from hell. The phenom Douglas Lima. Can't wait to see this rematch. Roy McDonald, Saturday night. Bellator 232 from the woods in Connecticut. Can't wait to check it out. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Guys, that's the best I've ever heard of Doug Lima. A guy who who, who is, is, says it himself, not a big talker, not known for a big personality, not known for a big self-marketer, even though his ability, he's on fire right now from the standpoint of getting your attention. But uh, he seems happy. He seems ready. He seems to identify the mistakes he made in that first fight, January 2018, when Rory took the title from him in Los Angeles, despite the heavy, insane damage that Doug Lima put on the left leg of Rory. Rashad, you remember that. And you heard the lament in Lima's voice. They go into that fifth round with the fight up for grabs. And Rory keeps Doug Lima on his back for nearly all five minutes. That's still eating at him entering this rematch. Oh, yeah. And you can you can definitely, you know, know that Lima's going to go in there with that in the back of his mind and do everything he can to put uh, Rory in a position where that, that never happens. And, and I think that he's going to come with pressure forward and just in Rory's face and contending for every single position. And, and that's what it comes down to. You know, when, when a guy holds you down like that, okay, that guy has some skill holding you down. So you, you may be like, okay, well, I'm going to contend. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to make it hard for him in every single position. I'm going to make it so that when he's on top of me, he's just not resting. He's going to have to be active inside the guard or passing the guard or doing whatever, or the referee's going to stand it up. That's the kind of commitment Doug, Douglas Lima is going to have to have. You know, also, he's going to have to not uh, not be worried about getting taken down. You know, because here, here's the reality. McDonald, Rory's going to take him down at least one point in this fight. And he can't be afraid to get taken down. He just has to know that when he gets taken down, he's going to pop back up. He's going to get back up to his feet. When you start, when if he starts to get to the point where he's worried about Rory and what he can do if he gets him down to hold him down, then he's not going to throw punches. He's going to, it's going to jam up his, his, uh, his kicks for one, because he don't want to kick with somebody who's going to just reach down and grab that leg and take him down. So it, it, it is jam up his whole game. So he has to cut the head off that dragon and not fear being taken down, you know, get him, get right in Rory's face and let him know that it's going to be like that all night long. Yeah. That first fight was, was fun. There was some drama involved. Uh, I thought it was a fight of the year contender when I watched it, watching the replay back in the last couple of days, it, it maybe didn't have that same level. And like I mentioned, Rory took the air out of the balloon in round five by, by so deftly taking him down and holding him down. But man, you saw Rory under so much distress with that giant hematoma on his leg. He could barely stand. 
yet collecting his emotions and being able to close that distance continuously and take Doug Lima down. But you want to talk about, Brandon, the difference between who these fighters were then in January 2018 and who they were now. We talked about the rough road Rory had to get to this point. Since that fight, Douglas Lima wins the trilogy bout against Spartan Koreshkov in dominant style, submitting him in round five after really just kicking his ass the whole night, and then hands the first L to Michael Venom Page in highlight real fashion. I say he's the biggest, best-kept secret in the whole sport. How damn good at 31 is Doug Lima? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the conversation we've been having for the last few months about him is that where would you rank him right now in UFC welterweight rankings? Or if you want to do a mythical pound for pound at welterweight, where would he fit in? Because his dynamic striking is just unreal. Like that highlight reel knockout of Venom Page in, uh, what was it, May? May. Where he just, like, it was just like picturesque where you take him down, he falls to a knee, and then you hit him with the uppercut to just flatline him. It's just one of those things that you don't see from everybody like not nobody not everybody's able to do something like that and i think coming into a fight like this like he he said in that interview he knows the mistakes he made he knows how to what he's planning to correct i just think you're gonna see a different dude like i i if i'm making a pick for this fight i'm probably picking douglas just because i really think the fire is there to get that title back to right this wrong and to finally figure out what he did wrong and and prove to people that he is a top three welterweight in the world right now, regardless of, of uh, promotion. And that's the thing about it. Like, you know, the first time they fought, you know, you, you have a Douglas Lima who's facing a Rory McDonald from UFC who's, you know, beat the who's who in the UFC. And, and, and I don't care who you are. When you're going against somebody who has that kind of resume and you don't have that kind of resume, it, it kind of like – you're kind of like, okay, well, you, you know, you're – you kind of feel as if like, all right, I'm in an underdog role. This guy's been in there. Who's who? I, I got to go in there and, and prove that I can even compete at the level with some of these greats that he's already competed against. So the self-belief in Douglas may not have been there when they first fought, you know, but now he's had the knockout over Michael Venom Page and he's growing confidence in this tournament and who he is as a fighter. Now he knows where he's good at. He knows that he belongs to be there, and you're going to see him fight that way on Saturday. Yeah, I think you're right on, and he did mention in that interview, maybe he gave Rory too much respect in that first time around. I think that's the way it played out. Uh, Rashad, how does a guy like this, I don't want to say slip through the cracks, because we know Doug Lima's name if you're an MMA fan for a while. I mean, look, he fought uh, Ben Askren for the welterweight title as far back as 2012. His brother Diego has been in and out of the UFC a couple times, his younger brother at welterweight, yet what do you, what was the turning point for you where you're like, holy crap, this guy's not just, oh, that guy Doug Lima from Bellator. He's one of the best damn welterweights in the world. I feel like his growth has been so incremental and just little bit at a time. We all just kind of woke up one day and we're like, holy crap, this guy's the real deal. It, it, you know, it wasn't until I seen him fight Michael Venom Page and, and because I have so much respect for Michael Venom Page and what he does and just his whole showmanship and just, you know, really how he gets a fight to where he wants it, you know, playing with all his antics and everything like that. He can put anybody in his trick bag. And I really like that. But with that fight in Douglas Lima, you, you seeing him, you know, being able to address that, being able to not get caught in those trick bags and, and to be able to come with something of his own. Then you're like, oh, wow, this guy, okay, this guy is something different. You know, this guy is, is actually, he's actually really good. 
you know, and that that's when I took notice of how tough he was. Yeah, it's going to be a fun fight. Uh, we got to break down who wins this because the story the first time around was obviously those hard leg kicks from Lima that gave Rory hell. But Rory did well in boxing wise with his jab. And then, like we mentioned, he was able to just close distance at will. It's a different Doug Lima, though. The betting odds are telling you the young, the, not the younger fighter. Doug Lima is actually the older fighter, but the fresher fighter and Doug Lima is going to come over the top. What does this look like at the in the end? And Rashad, what does this version of Rory have to do with more miles to pull out that extra card in his sleeve and, and pull this thing off? Well, he's going to have to do what he did in the last fight, which is fight that in close game where he's coming and bringing pressure forward, getting behind that jab. You get behind that jab just enough where Douglas Lima invites the striking and then go underneath him. I think that he's going to have to gum up Douglas Lima in any kind of way, whether it be uh, wall and brawl, which is against the cage, or you know, uh, take him down because as much stress that he puts on Douglas in his arms and his legs into fighting from wrestling position, that's going to take a lot off off him when he gets back on his feet and goes into the striking range where he's not going to have you know, those leg kicks and things like that. And also, you know, Rory's going to have to, you know, um, be on that leg. Whenever whenever Douglas Lima is, is attacking him with a kick, you know, he's going to have to uh, answer in any kind of way. So then that way Douglas doesn't get ahead with those leg kicks and thinking that he can just, you know, drop those leg kicks in there. Rory's going to have to scoop down and grab a couple of those legs to let him know that he's not going to let those legs go in there and just kick him without having anything to say about it, you know. And I think that right there, will make it so that Rory is fighting his game and he's not taking those big shots that Douglas Lima can give out. You know it's a great fight when your head's telling you, yep, Lima's trajecting upward, he's the guy, he's going to do this. But your heart's telling you Rory's still got got a lot in the tank, man. Rory's still got it, he'll figure out, he'll find a way. Can't wait for this fight, can't wait to be cage side in Uncasville for this one. You got Paul Daly, Sada Wad in the co-main, Nick Newell back on this card, unfortunately, Vitaly Minikov's visa issues will take that javi alaya fight off of it uh they got a card friday night as well there's a different bellator rematch in the main event <laughs> at 231 when frank near mirror and roy nelson do business again uh yeah all right on that one uh we'll see what happens phil davis ed ruth on the card uh baby slice you guys in on ed JK? ruth, is, ed ruth I, I like this ed ruth going against jason jackson jason jackson is one of my teammates uh, a 170 pounder, and honestly speaking, he was on the um, the uh, Ultimate Fighter show, the Black Zillions versus ATT. This guy, Jason Jackson, is a sleeper. When he when he finally catches his stride, I'm telling you, everybody's gonna be like, "Oh man, who's this kid?" Jason Jackson is is pretty pretty dope, man. I like the inside info remember, right there. Remember when I was talking about Adam Borox? Yes, you were Jason right Jackson. on. You were right yeah. on about that. You did predict a Tyrone Spong knockout though of Alexander Usyk. <laughs> never forget um <laughs> jake hager you're gonna have him on thursday's bonus audio show little spoiler he's a great talker he's fun to chat with and he does guys he does break down the inside story behind the best mma promo of 2019 you know what i'm rock hard right now with emotion i got a phoner you want to know what a phoner is you want to know it now or you want to wait till Thursday? Yeah, I think you got to wait till Thursday. His breakdown is pretty damn epic there. Uh, do you guys care about Jake Hager? Like, I'm popping because I'm a wrestling guy. He's playing a very big role in the launch of AEW. 
the Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, Cody Rhodes brand that's competing with WWE. But from an MMA perspective, Brandon, you hate the ish out of wrestling. Do you pop for Jake Hager? No? You don't care? I mean, he's fighting 4-2 Anthony Garrett on Friday. He can be interesting, but he's also, like, they're just matching him up to be a celebrity who doesn't ever get damaged. Like, he fought a meat packer from Kansas last, right? Like, did, yeah. He did. I mean, this will be fun. It'll be interesting for as long as it lasts, but I'm not, like, going crazy for it. Hopefully Anthony Garrett doesn't get hurt too bad so he can drive the Uber back from the <laughs> Thank you. Also on, the, also on this card on Friday is another one of Rashad's teammates and coaches at uh, – Hard Knocks, Steve Mowry's fighting on the yes. prelims of this card. Is that yes, that dude that's Steve. like 6'8"? Yeah. yeah. So he's in there against Tall Steve. Go he's, Steve. Fighting, he's fighting a dude from Turkey that's a kickboxer. All right. All right. Go can. Yeah, go get some of that go can. All right. Uh, my, here's my thing about Bellator. I love me some Bellator. They supplied us with three great guests this week. Stop doing two shows in the same city on consecutive nights. Give us a badass card. Just load it up, right? There's like a little we right. like about Friday, I know, I know, a little we like about just, Saturday. I mean, look. Yeah, just give us one. Put like, it all together. Doing this to us. Give us Rashad Machida too in the co-main like we all deserve. <laughs> and I mean, come on, all right. Do we have to give Rashad's cell phone over the over the phone here? Scott Coger, call him up, all right. He's got a lot left in the tank here. I mean, come on, right? Jeez. Come on, guys. All right. That's that. Uh, UFC Singapore this Saturday morning. Breakfast at Wimbledon here if you want to wake up and get some of this. The card blows. Spoiler alert. But we got to see this main event. Welterweight's the return of Ben Funky Askren. Really just, what, three months, if you will, after that viral five-second loss in July, Las Vegas, against Jorge Masvidal. You can give Ben Askren credit for his face absorbing the launch of Masvidal's uh, stardom into this BMF run at NMSG in November. But for Askren, we're going to ask him a lot, really, to come back so quickly from such a bad loss against Damian Maya at 41 years old. Rashad, you can't break this matchup down without really getting through that question of how much will that loss affect him? He says it won't. He says physically he's completely fine. He wants to get the train back on the tracks right away. Is this the right opponent for that? It's definitely the right opponent for that. You know, um, it's somebody he can stand up with. And, and here's the thing about it. Ben's, Ben's stand up is, is atrocious. It's terrible. So <laughs> I, th- I think that going against somebody like Dame, Damien, uh, who, who's not, no, listen, now Damien is not a slouch with the stand up. All right. He's not a slouch to stand up. He has actually a pretty good one too, but it's not, it's not going to be the, the most decorated striker in the weight class. So this is a great fight for him. And also, it goes into his wheelhouse. You know, Damian Maya is a grappler and, and Ben Askren is, is a grappler as well, too. So this is going to be a, a, a grappler's delight, to say the least. Wow. But I think this this will this will give Ben, ben a good chance of working on how, how does he close the distance with his punch? You know, and, and just and just simple, basic stuff that I think he's going to need in order for his mouth to meet meet the level of competition that, that he has to face, you know, because in reality. I think Ben is tough. He's super tough uh, in, in the grappling positions. But when it comes to, you know, doing what he has to do from standing to taking down, I just think it's terrible. And I, and I, and I don't think that he's going to be able to sustain himself and, and be a, a player in his weight class if he doesn't fix that, that glaring hole. Well, 
what's crazy is, you know, that fight with Masvidal never got off the ground. We never saw what that would have looked like. And he, his UFC debut was such a wild affair against Robbie Lawler in which he shows so much toughness, gets a win. But with the controversial ending and the beating he took, it's almost like a weird loss at the same time. So, Brandon, considering the 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 trade that got him here, Demetrius Johnson going to one championship and, and Ben coming in with all that sort of Dana White drama and let's see his crappy striking actually on the UFC level is this win or, or or get away for good is this like like if Ben Asker doesn't pull this off Saturday morning this has been a disaster I don't know if you'd say it's a disaster but it's definitely something to think about given that he was quote-unquote retired before coming back to UFC so I don't know if it's a get off the pot type deal but it's definitely one of those things where UFC has to go, well, what the hell do we do with him now? You know, and I I think I kind of agree with Rashad, but I also think that this might be a, a, a fight where we're expecting to see a whole bunch of wrestling and jujitsu, but they might just cancel each other out and just mm-hmm. be standing yeah. for 15 minutes. I and agree. I don't know if anybody actually wants to see that. <laughs> like that might be just horrific television with two guys who just don't like striking. I'll tell you what, though. And here's the thing about it. Damian Maya is a sneaky good striker. You're hearing it from me first. Damian <laughs> Maya is a sneaky good striker. And, and, and it's weird because if you watch Damian Maya, he doesn't like, it looks very mechanical. It looks like, it looks like the timing is off it, but I'm telling you, he has a very slick one, two that catches everybody. It catches everybody when, when he decides to throw it. When he decides to throw punching combinations, he he connects, and I think he can connect with a Ben. Call your shot. Call the TKO. Ben, oh, uh, Damian Maya. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It it could it could happen. It could happen. Damian Maya finished him with the hands. <laughs> uh, I don't love the rest of this card. There's certainly names we care about. The co-main event: Michael Johnson getting in there with Stevie Ray. You got Benil Dariush coming back against Frank Camacho. But um, yeah, this card sucks, guys. All right. I, I like the Michael Johnson fight because this this one right here, it, it, it Michael has been been struggling, but I think this is the fight that kind of gets him back and gets him right on the path that he needs to, to be, you know, something in his weight class. I, I really think that he can be something in his weight class. It's just that you know, jumping in there, right? You know, he did he didn't. I mean, he he had that knockout, that knockout that he took was, was a big one for him. You know, the just engaged you. No, no, no. The one where he got at one forty five, he got put out by uh, the ball guy. The, the, the al- he looks like an albino. He's, I know he's Josh Emmett. Emmett, 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 yeah. Emmett, yeah. Uh, Michael Johnson does does take some L's, but he does face the very best. And let's not forget, he sent Poirier to hell that time. Um, yeah, that'll do it for this week. Um, I, while we were talking about Weidman Romero earlier. Was UFC 205? We we're talking about Connor. That was the mountaintop moment for him as a as a as a fighter, as a celebrity star. That UFC 205 card has aged insanely well. It was great that night. Like, can I just remind you? Is that like the best card of this modern era that we don't talk about enough? It was MSG. It was Conor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez in the main event. Tyron Woodley, uh-huh. Stephen Thompson won in the co-main, which by the way was a badass, dramatic welterweight title fight. Then the draw. Joanna Carolina, that went five hellacious rounds. Yoel Romero, Chris Weidman, Rocky Pennington retires Misha Tate, and then the oh, preliminary wow, yeah. card main event 
was Frankie Edgar, Jeremy Stevens. And don't forget the fight before that was Habib and Michael Johnson. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about putting the best seven fights on a card up against any other? Brandon, beat that. Beat that card, bro. I mean, UFC 200 was pretty stacked, but we lost the uh, DC Jones main event there. So beat that. I mean, 217 was really good, too, the the next year, where you had the three title fights, GSP over Bisbing, Till, uh, Dillashaw over Cody, and Rose over Ioana, plus Stephen Thompson beats Jorge Masvidal, and then Paulo Costa beats Johnny Hendricks. It's close, but it ain't there, bro. All right, James Vick and Joseph Duffy isn't isn't in that category. It ain't there. Right? <laughs> I mean, OS, OSP sent Corey Anderson to hell with a head kick in that, in that card. Oh, man, that was a bad one for Corey. 205 I mean, was, was special, all right? It was very, very, okay. Okay. very. You've got your opinion locked in. <laughs> it's locked in, okay? That's what it is. All right. Uh, support the State of Combat. Listen, send your your thoughts and give us that five-star review. Check out our bonus interview pod on Thursday. Uh, continue to follow Sugar Rashad Evans on Twitter, Instagram. Maybe slide in his DMs. That's your choice, right? That's your choice. I don't know if they're open. All right. That's, yeah. No more dick pills. Yeah, indeed. Thank you, John. Indeed. Uh, be wise. Do you have any anything you want to say? Nope. I'm good. All right. Special thanks to our guests, Roy McDonald and Douglas Lima. Guys, that's you know you you look on the calendar months in advance. It's the best case scenario for this Walter Wake Grand Prix. Can't wait for this fight. Can't wait to be there. Somebody's gonna lose their health and stamina. What do you got? No, man. Just get ready. That's gonna be great this weekend, but. We got to get ready for next week. Just start getting your plans in order now for UFC 244. Well, not just that, dude. It's Canelo Kovalev week. You want to talk about a decision? I mean, I mean, Rashad, even you look at Canelo Kovalev as like, good God, I got to see what happens, right? Oh yeah. Look, look, look at the uh, balls uh, on Big Red. Listen, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm a big boxing fan. All right, I'm a big boxing fan, so I, I definitely think this is gonna be. Uh, a must, a must see fight. Same must night as the BMF title at UFC 244 at MSG. It's a great week for Combat Sports next week. You know the state of combat's going to have you covered, but for my co-host and myself, that's it. Folks. We out.